This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, friends. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your life coach, your guide on this side, helping you with life, managing the people in your life. Today, we're going to be talking about the interweb, the internet web, and, uh, you know, all of the incredible benefits that come from the web, right? All the connectivity. Now you can learn so much uh, about all of the diverse, you know, areas of life. But is that really what's happening? So this interweb that's supposed to take you and make you so much, you know, so much better read, better traveled. Is that how you're using the internet? Or are you just using it to watch your favorite cat videos? I knew that's where you were going. <laughs> well, where else would we take that? I watch movie trailers. And, or movie trailers. See, but what you should be doing, according to what we thought would happen, Okay. you should be watching... Bollywood movie trailers from India. Why? Diversity. I, I want to uh, do some product research on something I'm going to purchase soon, which would be a movie ticket. Right. See, the idea was that the internet was like going to the big city and you'd become a cosmopolitan where you would understand diversity. Whose idea is that? Well, I think that was what we thought would happen with the interweb. Who's we? We meaning the smart people of the world. Oh, because that's not what I want to do with the internet. Exactly. So, so what we're finding is... I'm going to be criticized for my own personal behavior? No, you're just going to be studied. And now we know that like a monkey caged in a cage... Right. I like even, bananas. Even though you have keys that could take you everywhere in the world... Right, okay. You choose to stay in your cell. Well, the new Jason Bourne trailer came out yesterday. What do you want me to do? eat bananas. That's what our guest today, Ethan Ethan Zuckerman, is going to be talking to us about. Hmm. The idea that we were we believed the internet would was like going to the big city eventually, and everyone's minds would be you know grown and strengthened, and we'd connect and we'd know more people and we'd understand and we'd probably be more tolerant. Well, it, and it none is, of that happened. It is the greatest repository for information, and I usually use it for spell check. Exactly. <laughs> That might be the problem. Or I check area codes or time zones, that kind of thing. <laughs> so we're going to talk about that coming up today, about uh, why we think the Internet connects us, but really it, it might not. It, it might not connect us as much as we think. So we'll get to that. Then we got to talk about Prince and the passing of Prince. Um, I mean, that is a tragedy. Again, another you know major, major uh, musical gift gone. And, I mean, I remember when he came out, I'm old enough to remember. Pre-Prince. Pre-Prince. PP, we call it. Um, But he was a weird duck at the time. You know, he wouldn't talk. Right. That's what made him unique is he was kind of odd. And then eventually he wouldn't use his name. He just had a symbol. I mean, but these guys are eclectic, and yet you can't argue with their output. They put out some pretty cool stuff. Right. 
So we'll get to that. More on Prince. Um, again, it's just sad. And even if you don't love his music, he influenced so many other musicians. He was a Golden Globe winner, an Academy Award winner, Grammy winner, multi-Grammy winner. Even the movie Happy Feet. Come on. How could you hate that? So we'll get to all of that in a minute. But first, let's get to the headlines with Terry South. What's going on around the – not the world. The nation. The nation. Talk to me, Terry. Thanks, Matt. We, as we were just talking about, Prince found unresponsive an elevator at his Paisley Park compound in Minnesota early Thursday morning and pronounced dead after CPR failed. He was 57, born Prince Rogers Nelson. The Purple Rain artist reportedly made a health-related emergency landing on, in his plane April 15th, and his representative said he was battling the flu. Known for his genre-bending performances that transcend the boundaries of rock, punk, pop, R&B, and R&B, Prince's legacy includes seven Grammys performing at the Super Bowl in 2007. Look that up on the old uh, YouTube. That's interesting to watch. He was said to be one of the best performances of uh, Super Bowl halftime, which sometimes is a uh, low bar to clear, <laughs> um, selling over 100 million albums worldwide. Wow. In other news on Thursday, Republican presidential candidates Donald Trump and Ted Cruz shared their opposing views on the North Carolina law that requires transgender individuals to use bathrooms in schools and government buildings that correspond to the sex on their birth certificate. On the Today Show, Trump criticized the law, calling it unnecessary, and said that the state is now playing a uh, paying a big price due to boycotts from artists, businesses, and yeah. other, other groups. Cruz is supportive of the law and tweeted that Trump isn't going to defeat political correctness and instead bowed to it less than 24 hours after saying transgender individuals should be able to use the bathroom they feel as appropriate. Donald Trump backtracked from that position, speaking with Sean Hannity on Fox News for the 90th time during this approximately. It's wow. not really the 90th. It just sort of feels that way. Um, Donald Trump backtracked from that position, saying that Republican president uh, saying that uh, he believes that North Carolina law overturning local anti-discrimination ordinances is causing a lot of problems. He thinks local communities and states should make the decision. The federal government should not be involved. This comes despite the fact that there was never any question on whether the Fed should have stayed in or out of the matter. Yeah. So Trump brought up an issue that has nothing to do with the issue to backtrack from an unpopular <laughs> position in his party. The people, a number of people shot in Chicago in 2016 has already passed 1,000, marking the fastest oh, wow. pace the city has hit such a number since the extraordinary violent mid-90s. According to uh, data compiled by the Chicago Tribune and the Windy, the Windy City hit the 1,000 mark six to nine weeks earlier than previous year, uh, any previous year since 2012. At the same point in 2015, there were about 600 shootings. And in 2014, at the same point, there had been 483. Crazy town, so man. Does, whatever policies they keep putting in, it just it's gets worse. In, but we, and we hardly even talk about this. Right. This needs to be the biggest thing we're talking about. And we need to just ask why we're not talking about it. Yeah. And we're mentioning it as a news story. But this should be the biggest news story around. No one's saying It's a, a huge public crisis, if yeah. you will, going on in Chicago. The FBI reportedly paid more than $1 million for the hacking tool they used to open the San Bernardino shooter's iPhone. The agency director, James Comey, said it was worth it, despite there being no clear pieces of relevant information obtained from the hack. Wow. The FBI and Apple were in a long battle, as we talked about many times. And now, because they've done that, uh, law enforcement agencies from across the nation, every corner of the nation, have... But you send letters and requests to the FBI because they have phones they want to break into. But $1 million. I wonder if they had just paid Apple a $1 million quietly 
Would Apple have broken into it? Probably and not. Would that have been worth it for Apple to know the same information that now the well, company knows? That- James Comey said that they may share that information. They may not. They still haven't decided. Charge them. The problem is they've only broken into the 5S. That's right. All the other phones are secure. And so they want to know, what did you do? But like the, the newer phones. We need more crimes. They can't break into. We need, we more, need more crimes, crimes that they can break into. The former Florida postal worker who landed a gyrocopter on the U.S. Capitol yeah, grounds last he year. He has been sentenced to 120 days in prison. Douglas Hughes, 62, of Ruskin, Florida, pled guilty in November and was sentenced Thursday for felony flying without an airman certificate. It. In it, subtext, he's probably already si- he's already served that much. Time. In subtext, uh, embarrassing whoever's in charge of the uh, the radar monitoring station that covers Washington D.C. Yeah, because apparently they missed the gyrocopter yeah. flying into the Capitol. Maybe those people monitoring don't have uh, their credentials either. Maybe they don't. Hmm. <laughs> well, interesting. Um, you know, back to Prince. Yeah. It's sad. I mean, they found him in an elevator, so who knows? And these artists are complicated human beings. It seems like a lot of them have a big battle with themselves their entire life. They do. And he he was really – he found – like I was talking – we were talking before the show. You said, grab a bunch of Prince music. And it's like, well, it's not like it's on YouTube anymore. I know. Why can't – He protected his – he through his career, he went and fought with the record labels and got all of his music. That he is owns so smart. All of his music. You, I think I tried to find it on Spotify. Yeah. Some of the streaming apps. They're not. It's not there. There's a Can't bunch of. Tri- there's a bunch of tribute bands. Oh really? Guys named Bob from Tennessee covering <laughs> you know, a little red Corvette or something. And it, it's interesting because uh, you go to like Apple Music, you can buy it and listen to it, but it's not out there streaming because you don't get the same return on it. He's worried about his job. Yeah. This is what he does for a living, and giving it away for in his mind probably for free wasn't in, in the cards. That, that really is smart because a lot of artists get shafted and, and lose do. everything. And but it, So just think of that. If he sold 100 million albums, just let's say he made a buck mm-hmm. per album. He probably made a little more. Uh, he's doing okay. Yeah. And he also, though um, – but it's there's still it's such a complicated life. What he was doing recently, I guess, was in Minnesota, he would just play a, a bar there, kind of a I mean a club. Yeah, he'd just show up unannounced, and he'd show up, and they had a purple piano for him, and he would have these fans that keep coming back and keep coming back, and he was just there, there was a guy on CNN yesterday, just you know, very emotional about he was just there. I just saw him. Right. And he was telling. He just tells us about his life. And- there's there's a video out there. Uh, someone took on their phone of him playing in uh, Georgia. Yeah, just the last couple weeks, mm. and it's just him and a piano. And he goes out there and plays his. You know, and people just go nuts because they remember the music. They they they're still fans. There there's um, allegedly a vault. Yeah, underneath uh, we talk. What was it called? The uh, Paisley Park Compound. Yeah. You'll hear yeah. about. That's his home slash music studio. And, right, so it's a combo, and underneath and it is supposed to be a vault Ooh. that's full of music. I heard an interview on the BBC this morning talking to one of his first musicians that he worked with, guitar player, I think it was, and he said they'd show up to the compound, they they uh, complete two songs every day, start with each individual no track, way. they'd build it, and the, over the whole workday they'd put two songs together, and they said they did that for years. Oh my heavens! So there's all this unreleased music, allegedly in a vault. Under Holy his house. Holy cow. 
and it could be released. You know, the the, the same kind of thing happened with Michael Jackson a little yeah. bit after he died. But I mean, again, I guess that's the consummate like pro that can just keep making a couple songs a day. Yeah, it's crazy. And he wrote for other people. I mean, I, I think certain so. albums he was able to put together in a week. Like a, I think the Purple Rain album. I think it was the Purple Rain album was able he was able to get the whole thing done in a week. One one of his songs that was uh, fairly popular. He I was reading last night on Wikipedia. He fell asleep, kind of had some ideas as he dozed off, and then he woke back up, wrote them down, and dozed off again, and finished the song. And he just no did way. it kind of in and out of sleep, and just how he how he worked. That's cool. <laughs> well, and and he also was a producer, right? So he'd, he'd help other people produce their book, their labels, and their um, their work. Again, I just respect deeply anybody with so much talent, right? And they're complicated people. That's why it's like, again, they just line up. Robin Williams, all these incredibly talented souls that – and we're losing. You just lose them. You lose them. But I guess that's been going on forever. Yeah. Marilyn Monroe. I mean, this is James Dean, all these guys. Um, well, tragedy. So uh, we'll have to you know, find out more. I'm sure more data, more information will be coming out about that. Again, uh, 57-year-old uh, Prince – he had been nominated for a total of 32 Grammy Awards over the years, and he won seven of them. Nominated for 12 MTV Video Awards, won four of those. Uh, he has an Academy Award back in 1985 for Purple Rain. In 2007, the Golden Globe for the song of The Heart and from the movie Happy Feet. So, man, big deal. Rolling Stone ranked him at number 27 on the all-time list of the 100 greatest artists of all time. Wow. Well, may you rest in peace. And uh, again, those that are mourning, we're uh, we're mourning with you. So we'll take a break. Come back, folks. And we're going to be talking about the digital age, right? We had so many hopes of what the Internet would be able to do for our minds, for our ability to connect with other people. But uh, Dr. Ethan Zuckerman is going to be joining us. He is um, from MIT and is the uh, director of the Center for Civic Media at MIT. He's going to be talking to us about maybe we're not as connected as we think we are just simply because of the way we're using the Internet. Interesting insight, folks. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you uh, see the good in the world. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, with just a single click, we can access almost anything on the Internet, right? Cat videos, profiles of our former classmates, find out what they're up to. Also, you know, just if you're looking for a good recipe or trying to figure out the latest thing Trump said. You know, these all uh, are made possible because of this growing online community. And uh, we, which you know, we thought, what's a what a great blessing, right? Access to all of this information, but does does the access to the information truly mean that we're connected? Joining us today is Dr. Ethan Zuckerman. He's the author of Digital Cosmopolitans: Why We Think the Internet Connects Us and Why It Doesn't, and How to Rewire It. The book is called Rewire, and uh, he's going to help us, I think, understand. That maybe just because we have the access doesn't inherently mean we're creating the connections we need. Dr. Ethan Zuckerman, thank you so much for being with us today. 
Good morning, Matt. And you've inadvertently uh, promoted me. I'm not a doctor, but uh, oh, you're not. To be with you and thrilled well, you, to talk you to you know what? about this. You are now. Ethan, you oh, have well, officially been you. <laughs> I've given you an honorary degree from the Matt Townsend show. That's fantastic. I uh, I will put that on my CV and I will wear <laughs> it with pride. But but Matt, you've got the heart of the book. You've got the heart yeah, of the argument. I love this. Um well, thank you. I I am an old school internet guy. I've been online since nineteen eighty nine. And back in the day, many of us really believed that having access to this network that connected people all over the globe was going to give us this truly global view. Right. And what it's turned out is in many ways, the Internet makes it a lot easier to connect to people we already know. Uh, and this is a bit of an irony for many of us. So much of the information we get these days is really reconnecting us with old friends. Hmm. It's really keeping us within existing social networks like Facebook, helping us you know, understand where our friends from high school were. And despite the fact that there are at this point hundreds of millions of people from different nations online, you can very easily go through a week or a year and not encounter any of the 60 million Nigerians mm-hmm. who are online in one fashion or another. So really – now, some would say, well, what's the problem with that, Ethan? I mean, this is, this, this is good. Now I can stay connected to my circle. But I guess the problem you're saying is we're not connecting to the bigger whole. So there's nothing wrong with staying connected to your circle. And I think in terms of emotional support and uh, you know, keeping up those strong ties over time, I think all of that's extremely valuable. But there's two issues that we end up running into. The first issue is that it's possible to get isolated and only see things from one point of view. Some people talk about this as echo chambers. Some people have talked about this as filter bubbles. But usually when we talk about it, we're talking about it in terms of U.S. politics. Mm. If you're on the left, maybe you only hear from people on the left. If you're on the right, maybe you only hear from people on the right. One of the bigger problems is that if you're in the U.S., it's very hard to get a non-U.S. perspective on things. You know, right now, the biggest story in the world is the U.S. presidential campaign. Nope. If you happen to be in Europe, the biggest story right now is whether Britain's going to exit the EU. Exactly. If you're anywhere else in the world, the biggest story is almost certainly the Panama Papers, all these revelations about corruption in sorts of different governments. So you can get isolated in that national bubble. Mm. So that's the first thing. It gives you this, this local perspective, and you end up believing that that local perspective is the only one that matters. Here's the second piece of it. We are connected with the rest of the world to an unprecedented degree. The stuff that we are wearing, that we're eating, the chair that I'm sitting on, these things are all from different countries. We are interlocked with the rest of the world through travel, through trade, and we don't remember it most of the time. We pay attention at a moment or two when suddenly someone in West Africa gets Ebola and shows up in a hospital in Texas, and we go, whoa, yeah. wait a second, maybe we should just shut down all of our connectivity. And the answer is we can't. The world is so connected that we have almost an obligation to be more knowledgeable about what's going on in other parts of the world, if only so we understand how the world really works today. Mm. And, I mean, it's, Americans seem to have always been branded fairly or not as fairly self-centric, you know, wearing their American flag T-shirt, you know, in the middle of France and uh, speaking loudly at a sacred 
cathedral while everyone is trying to be reverent or whatever. Um, we're kind of always known as being that way. But this this is also just – this is more of a – this is an actual systemic way that we stay caught in our own view. Well, well so first of all, let me give you some, some good news, which is that uh, Americans are not uniquely awful about this. Good. Okay, good. Um, we're, we're, we're not even the worst tourists in the world, uh, actually. <laughs> that, 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 that probably goes to the Brits, uh, who have a tendency <laughs> to drink a little bit too much when they hit the road. Um, but it, it's more a, a fundamental piece of human nature. I did a study when I was working on this book where I looked at where people got their news. And the answer is, if you are in a big nation, if you're in sort of the, the dominant nation of the region, you're in Russia, you're in India, you're in France, you're going to get almost all of your news from local news sources. If you are in a smaller nation, a nation that you know shares a border with a big, powerful nation, so let's say you're in Nepal, let's say you're in Belgium, you're going to start getting a lot of your news internationally. You're going to start looking across the border. So if you're from any sort of big, powerful nation, it's very, very likely that you're going to be isolated in this bubble to one extent or another. But there's an even more basic tendency. It's got a, it, I'm going to use a $1 word here, but uh, <laughs> everybody gets to learn one today. It's called homophily. Homophily is the tendency of birds of a feather to flock together. We naturally pay more attention to people who have things in common with us. Hmm. If you are an American, you pay more attention to Americans. If you're a Christian, you pay more attention to Christians. Uh, if, if you're a young person, you pay more attention to young people. We flock to people who we think are like us. We have the strong tendency to find our tribe. And so the further away from someone someone looks to us, that the more cultural distance we can see, the harder a time we have paying attention to them. Let me just give you a really simple example. Yeah. Do you remember about uh, a, a year ago, those attacks on Charlie Hebdo, that French newspaper, right, right. satirical newspaper, got a huge amount of attention because a lot of people could think of themselves, wow, what if I had been at work and a gunman stormed up the stairs and started shooting the place up because of my beliefs? The same week, more than 2,000 people died in northern Nigeria when they were attacked by Boko Haram. Oh. So two horrific examples of Islamic terrorism, but the Nigeria story got almost no attention. And everybody remembers the Charlie Hebdo story. So true. It's because it's really hard for us to think about what would it be like <clears throat> to be a rural Nigerian. It's so culturally distant from us that just on some very basic level, those lives matter less to us. And what I'm trying to say is that that's not a healthy way to live in a connected world. We've got to start looking for some ways to fix it. Wow. That is, and those are perfect examples. And then even, I think we just heard that 500 people drown in, um, I, I guess, refugees coming between Italy and Libya or something. And I'm like, we don't even know the story. We hardly even hear that story because I guess we don't relate to it because of homophily. 
Well, I think there's homophily where we have a hard time putting ourselves in the shoes of Syrian refugees. I also think that news tends to be about surprise and things that happen over long periods of time that happen again and again. I think what happens is we have a phenomenon called Migo, my eyes glaze over. I've heard that story before. I've heard that tragedy before. I can't make myself care about it. Hmm. And so a lot of what I was hoping social media might help with is what people sometimes call the caring problem. Maybe I can get over the difficulty of caring about Nigeria by starting to build friendships with Nigerians. Maybe if my social network changes, maybe if it broadens, maybe if it expands, then I'm going to have a personal tie to these places. But what's been very interesting is that the Internet very early on in, say, the 1980s and the 1990s was a pretty international place, but mostly just because there weren't very many of us using it. Mm -hmm. But once we got to the mainstream Internet, once we get into the 2010s, you know, people really are using this tool mostly to reinforce those existing ties. And the notion of, hey, let's go online and meet someone random from another country, it, it sounds almost crazy, even though there are some efforts to try to make it happen. Hmm. And you call that, I guess, that, that uh, the 90s idea that we'd go out and meet the world and get to know the world was, I guess, the cosmopolitan idea. We were going to become cosmopolitanized. What do you call it? Yes. So, so what I was sort of hoping we might see uh, is digital cosmopolitanism. And, and cosmopolitanism, it's a, it's a very old idea. It's this idea that rather than being a citizen of the city that you're in, you're a citizen of the world. And, and that you want to try to figure out how to be at home anywhere in the world. It's an amazing Ghanaian philosopher named Kwame Apia, and he basically says cosmopolitanism is really simple. It basically comes down to realizing that there are other people in the world who have different values and different ways of living than you do, and that you might have some obligations to them. Mm. So, you know, really simply put, other people in the world view the world different ways, they have different rules. They have different perspectives. And even though that's the case, maybe it's not enough just to accept that. Maybe we really are interconnected. Maybe we really are dependent. And, and so the hope was that as we got a media that took away these barriers, that makes it so easy for us potentially to get information from other points in the world, many of us might start feeling more of those ties. And, and I want to tell you, it's possible. I've been helping to run a project for 11 years now called Global Voices. And this is a project that has 1,400 authors from over 100 different countries. And everyone participates in this. Almost everyone in the project is a volunteer. We report news from each other's countries, and we do it because we want to understand what's going on across those borders and because we want to develop those relationships and those friendships. But it doesn't happen automatically. Yeah. And that was the big discovery out of this. I think a lot of us hoped that this would just go ahead and happen. This would just be a consequence of net connectivity. And what we're finding instead is that if we want it to happen, we would have to choose to make it happen. We'd have to work really hard at it. Mm. It's um, it actually it's it's a beautiful concept. It really 
is, this idea that we are connected to everyone on the earth and we have an obligation to one another. Um, and, and again, we have to act to make it happen. Powerful stuff, Ethan. Let's take a break. Again, we're speaking with Ethan, who's the direct, uh, Ethan Zuckerman, who is the director of the Center for Civic Media at MIT and a principal research scientist there in the Media Lab. Um, he's helping all of us, I think, open our minds up about uh, this need to to understand our connectivity to others and um, and maybe do whatever we can to open up our hearts, our minds, our our soul to to the people of the world. We'll take a break, folks. We'll be right back, continuing to understand how to rewire and use the internet to uh, to connect. We'll be right back. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. On the phone with us, uh, Ethan Zuckerman, director of the Center uh, uh, for Civic Media at MIT. He um, also is uh, uses his research to focus on the distribution of attention in mainstream and new media and uh, to the use of technology for international development. Uh, it's a powerful lesson he's teaching us. He also wrote a book called Rewire. Digital cosmopolitans in the age of connection, and a digital cosmopolitan basically is somebody that um, recognizes that they are a citizen of the world, and that being a citizen of the world means you might want to try to understand the world and and people from different places, and uh, and understand too that there is an obligation as a fellow citizen on this big, great, big planet flying through space. It's there's something going on here, and we need to pay attention and take care of one another. Again, welcome back to the show, Ethan Zuckerman. So great to be with you, Matt. This is cool. Um, yeah, so so I, I'd love to just say another word about that Do. notion of obligations. So, so let's go back to Ebola. Remember Ebola? Yeah. No, no, November, you mean Dallas you know, Ebola or African yeah. Ebola? <laughs> so I've, I've lived and worked in, in, in West Africa for, for a whole lot of my life. I used to live in Ghana in West Africa. Um, and, you know, Ghana was really spared Ebola, but uh, Liberia, Sierra Leone, Guinea, these countries had a really hard time with it. And what's interesting is that countries that were just a little bit richer, like Nigeria, managed to do okay with it. Ebola came to Nigeria, and Nigeria shut it down really quickly. Uh, but, you know, Liberia, Sierra Leone, these are, these are two of the poorest countries in the world. And they had huge, huge problems with it. And eventually, Ebola started becoming a problem for the United States as well. Right. So if we took seriously this idea that the world is connected, and inherently connected, that there's really no way that we can close off these connections to the rest of the world, we would be trying to build up the healthcare system in West Africa. It's probably not a ton of money. These are very, very poor nations. Just getting to the point where those countries can respond to the next round of disease in the long run is probably smarter than trying to figure out how to build some sort of wall and ensure that no one from West Africa ever makes it into the United States again. It's so true, huh? It's really hard 
for us to get our heads around it. And so, you know, I suspect most people haven't read any news from Liberia in the last <laughs> year or so now that, now that it's not an immediate threat. And so this is what I'm sort of hoping we can find a way to debug. If we can understand that the connection is, is really inherent, that, that no matter Donald Trump's wildest fantasies, you know, if you want to eat chocolate in the future, we're probably going to be connected to West Africa because that's <laughs> where cocoa gets right. grown. Um, that as long as we're going to remain connected, we've got to start thinking about what we know and what our obligations are to, to people in these other parts of the world. And I wonder, though, if – because then we, it seems like, might see them as um, something we can use, uh, control, take advantage of. Is that, is that a worry too, right? I mean we want them because they're, you know, they're like us instead of just wanting them because they have cocoa. So I, I'm not sure that, that you know, wanting to, to take advantage of people is the worst thing in the world. Uh, <laughs> I guess it does. It's the market, right? The markets have always sure. been the way we engage. Sure. Hu- human beings trade with one another. They make deals with one another. They interact with one another. They marry one another. Um, the, the problem is when we ignore one another mm. uh, and, and we still find ourselves sharing the same world, sharing the same airport, sharing the same planet, sharing the same climate. Yeah. Um, I, I went and, and gave a talk in my church um, about two months ago about climate change. And it was an uncomfortable talk because what I ended up saying to my fellow congregants was that not only did we have to figure out how the U.S. could have a much lighter environmental footprint, but we had to figure out how people in the rest of the world could have the modern conveniences that we have. That there's no way to essentially say to people in China or India or in sub-Saharan Africa, sorry, you're not going to have any progress. It's really bad for the planet. So we're going to live the way that we live, and we're yeah. going to cut back, and you're not going to advance. Yeah, you guys Atlanta. missed the boat. Sorry. That's right. Sorry. Sorry it didn't work out for you. <laughs> you know, ne- next time around that wheel of karma, get born in a better place. Uh, no, somehow we've got to find a way for everyone around the world to have a wonderful you know, future filled with opportunity in a way that's also environmentally sustainable. That forces us to think really, really differently than the ways that we're generally inclined to think. And, and so these things are huge challenges. This is not me sort of like trying to beat people up for being insufficiently global. As you mentioned before, there's systemic barriers to this. When we open a newspaper, a newspaper is far more likely to tell us about wealthy nations than poor nations. When we go onto Google and search for information, we tend to search for information about people and places and things that we already know are important. When we go onto Facebook, we tend to connect with the people that we already know, not use these tools to reach out and make new connections. And those are all places where we would have to engage in some rewiring if we wanted the media to help us make these connections. Hmm. So the rewiring, is it, I, I mean, I, I, it seems like a lot of us might be waiting for, I'm waiting for someone else to rewire it. I'm waiting for the government or you or a big organ, you know, Google. But the reality is the rewiring has to be us. So, so I think there's two versions of the rewiring. I think we can make personal choices to live in a, in a different media universe. 
Um, I teach classes here on journalism and, and social change and the future of news, but my, my, my most popular class here uh, is, is on news and participatory media. And everyone who takes this class, the first week, they keep a media diary. And they, they write down what they've listened to or what they've watched, what they've read. And then I just ask people to sort of make some generalizations. What did you learn about this? Um, one of the things that I've learned doing this, and I've, I've done this five times now, uh, is that radio, uh, for me, is the medium that most often leads to serendipity. Uh, because I'm just listening. I don't turn away from a story that I think I might not be interested mm. in because I'm sort of along for the ride. If NPR, for instance, suddenly takes me to Burma, I'm going to go along with them. Right. Whereas if I have choice, if I can sort of flip through the headlines that I know that I care about in the newspaper, you know, I'm going to read about the Green Bay Packers all the time <laughs> because that's my team and that's you know who I want to know about. Right. So sometimes having choice isn't so great. So you can start looking at this and you can start hacking your own behavior. Behavior. You can say, you know what, I really want to know more about France. So I'm going to find an English language paper that focuses heavily on France, and I'm going to get some more stories from it. Or I know I just want to be more global, and I know it's hard, so I'm going to lean heavily on NPR. I'm going to lean on the BBC, which I know are deeply global information sources and are going to sort of push me there. But then there's the systemic part of it. And in truth, the people that I was really writing writing rewire for in some ways are my students and my students come out of MIT they get a master's degree or they get a PhD and they go to work for Google or Facebook or these big tech companies many of them start their own big tech companies and I wanted to have them take this idea that the tools that we use, these technological tools that we use, make it easier to know about some places and some people and harder to know about others. So I just wanted to make the case to them that they might have a responsibility in building these tools to help us become more global. Hmm. It's, it, I mean, that, that's what's powerful, I guess, is we have a shift, right? We shift – if we can shift our thinking – to the global world. I mean, we're already in it. We just seem to kind of consider ourselves, you know, the arm. We're the arm of the world. Um, but we don't necessarily see how one hand can take care of another. In, in, in one of the things I know you mentioned in your book is, and you just brought up the serendipity, um, the, is there's, there's basically three solutions that are potential solutions you talked about. Transparent translation – Bridge figures. Talk to us about bridge figures and talk to us about engineered serendipity, which you just explained a little bit there. Sure. Well, let me do this real, real quick. Translation's yeah. critical um, because everyone wants to talk in their own language. The dream that everyone's going to speak English is, is a dumb dream. It's just not going to happen. And um, you know, while it would be great for a lot of us to, to learn Chinese, what we really need to do is make translation happen all the time. When you get online, when you look for information, you suddenly stumble across a language you don't speak. Right now, we just turn away from it. And we mm -hmm. basically say, not for me. We need translation to happen in the background. We need it to be much better. And we basically need to find ways to, to not make language a barrier to knowledge. The second thing is that when we find information from other countries, a lot of the time it doesn't make any sense. You could pick up uh, a newspaper like the Vanguard in Nigeria. Uh, it's written in English. It's not going to make any sense to you because you don't know anything about Nigerian politics. Right. You don't know how to relate to those stories. 
bridge figures are people who have feet figuratively in two different cultures. And so they can say, oh, I know Nigeria and I know the United States, so I know how to explain this to you. And I also know how to help you care about it. And it's my contention that these bridge figures, these people who bridge between cultures, are incredibly well positioned to dominate the next 20 years of the economy. Mm. These are the people who are going to unlock connections in the global economy. The third thing that's really important is that there's so much information out there. We need help discovering not what we want to know, but that we didn't know we wanted to know. And this is what serendipity is about. Serendipity isn't just random chance. It's the happy accident through hard work. Serendipity is, is, is Fleming finding penicillin, not because he got a lucky break, but because he was working really, really hard to think about bacteria and then managed to see the mold killing off bacteria in the dish. Mm. So serendipity takes work. It might take conscious change. But the idea is that serendipity is something that I believe we can engineer. I think we can actually build systems that help us find the unexpected. And I actually think this is one of the most exciting engineering challenges right now uh, on the contemporary World Wide Web. Wow. That is cool, huh? It's just stuff we don't even know we're looking for. It's synergy. It's it's uh, it's this it's this emergent property that appears that we didn't even know existed until the right parties came together. Powerful. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And you and you believe you can engineer systems to create this serendipity regularly. Well, we're looking at little ones. We one of my students, uh, Catherine D'Ignazio, built this wonderful tool that with your permission tracked where in the world you read about and then started suggesting articles to you from other wow. you know, great yeah. cities of the world. Um we're fooling around with tools on Twitter that basically say, let's imagine that you follow high tech in the United States. Wouldn't it be great to be introduced to some of the people who are critical to high tech in Nigeria? So we don't want to give you random people. Mm -hmm. We want to give you people who care about what you care about, but are different from you in one sort of critical dimension. You know, I'm a left-wing secular guy. Maybe it would be really interesting for me to be in touch with people who are, are left-wing, but, but deeply people of faith, uh, or, or right-wing secularists, or, or left-wing secularists, you know, from Oh, France. great, yeah. You know, how do we figure out some way to, to give us something in common, but enough difference that it challenges us? That is beautiful. Get on that. I'm working on it. <laughs> I'm working on no, it. No, Ethan, that is, I mean, seriously, like you could then enroll to be, to have your mind broadened through a tool that starts, you know, you growing you. Powerful. I think we can do it, and I, I think we can build better tools that do it for other people as well. Is this what so you're doing what, at MIT then? This is some of what we're doing at MIT, and a lot of what we're doing at MIT is about helping people use technology to be politically powerful. So this idea of civic media is making media to make change in the world. And so some of the changes that I would like to see are, are for the world to be better connected and more global. Another one is for people who are marginal to be more powerful. Uh, but this whole idea that making media is a way of making change, that's the central idea behind our lab. 
Well, Ethan, you're incredible. That's impressive. And keep up the great work. Now I now you're on my radar, so I can now be changed by you. So I appreciate uh, your insight on this. Again, Ethan Zuckerman is his name. Go find his book, Rewire, Digital Cosmopolitans in the Age of Connection. Thanks again, Ethan, for being with us. Powerful stuff, folks. Man. Now, again, wouldn't it be valuable, I mean, to just start broadening you don't have to like go to all this extreme of being finding your exact opposite, but just start broadening the circle you already believe, you belong in and start understanding all the different sides of that or even just get to another culture. Incredible stuff. Interesting. We'll be back, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Trying to broaden your mind as we uh, help you find the good in the world. We'll be right back. Stick with us. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. What do you think about that? Uh, like just this concept of being a bridge figure. Um, you know, one of the things that we see a lot here at BYU, uh, because these we're going out, so many of members of the LDS faith go out to different countries to serve missions. Um, they come back with a tie, with a connection to another country. Just yesterday, I was watching, I, I left many moons ago and spent two years in Argentina. So when President Obama is in, in Argentina, that interests me. And, uh, and the people there I understand. And when I see what's going on with their president and their economy at times, it, uh, I have a connection for it. I also have an appreciation of a different culture. And it, it stretches me. It, it helps me understand. My son lived in Mexico northern Mexico for two years. And he has an affinity for the Mexican people, um, a love, an incredible love for the people. So when somebody says, let's build a wall, um, that it impacts him because he's one of these bridge figures. And the reality of our existence is every one of you are bridge figures. The goal, I guess, would be take the role, you know, seriously. Do you feel any connected need to the people or obligation to the people of Africa, of Nigeria? Do you feel any obligation there? Do you feel any obligation for a Syrian refugee? Well, I mean, no. You know, the United States can't be the babysitter for the world. Okay, well, don't give me the line. Give me the reality. Now, if I'm a betting man, you've probably never been to Nigeria. You've probably never experienced what it, what poverty might look like in another country and why people would do anything to get to this country. Because I'm going to bet if you just experienced it, you'd understand that the issue is a lot more complex than just people coming to America or fleeing a war-torn country. Uh, same thing about religion and faith. Again, I have a deep respect for 
a lot of religion simply because I sat there and had people explain to me their religion. And so we all can be these bridge people. And language is incredible. And culture, other people's culture, it is – it's edifying. So just ask yourself what you can do to bridge some of the gaps that exist in our culture and in our society. Can you just bridge the Democrat-Republican gap because you can understand both sides? We need some bridging going on. Uh, anyway, a little challenge for all of us. We'll take a break. We're going to come back in about five or six minutes. Got a whole new show for you, folks. You're not going to want to miss it. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you see the good in the world. We'll be right back. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Hello, do you like a little failure? I do. That's what I do best. Well, today we're going to be talking about the gift of failure. Can you see failure as a gift? Or is it just part of life? Have you ever failed, Terry? Never. Always winning. Right there. Really, always winning. Always winning. Always ahead. We're going to win so much, you may even get tired of winning. And you'll say, please, please, it's too much winning. We can't take it anymore. Mr. President, it's too much And I'll say, no, it isn't. We have to keep winning. We have to win more. We're going to win more. (laughs) Winning. He's like going into this like acting scene about, and then you're going to say, and then I'm going to say. He just role plays the entire conversation. And then I love the laugh track in the back. (laughs) See, that's what we need. You need a president that is going to help us win. But failure is, is what makes the winning better, right? So many a little league right. team I have watched that has never lost until they lose the final game or you know quarterfinal game, semifinal game, and all of a sudden it's devastating. But oh, maybe if they had just won or lost a couple times earlier in the year, they maybe would have picked up their game differently. Yeah, mm-hmm. they would have known what to do to maybe play from behind. Yes. Try to see? try to win a game. It's yes. hard. It's hard when you win all the time. You need a challenge so you know how to kind of change gears. I know. I'd and love some people to don't do that. that. I mean, I'd love to be challenged that way to win all the time. It, it, it's a it's a burden. Is it hard? But it's something I've learned to deal with. Yeah. Let's go to the other side of the coin, Ben. Oh. Um, what does it feel like to always play from behind? I don't know what you mean. Constant failure. <laughs> Just being a huge disappointment to everyone. Man. If anybody wants to call in and, and defend me, I'd be <laughs> – If you're one of those listeners, the one listener that wants to defend Ben because we beat him up too much. one eight five five chat byu one eight five five. 855 He's fine. He's fine. He's fine and he doesn't always play from behind. Sometimes he doesn't play. <laughs> huh, Ben? But it's always mediocre. You have that going for you. Except that there's a few things he did. He does incredibly well. Like he needed a break during this last, you know, break between shows. I've never between seen a hours. man. I've never seen a man move faster. Right. 
put, put the, the, the switches up so we can hear yeah. the BBC, and he left the room. Left, I mean, he ran. I was like, wow, look at him go. And he, I came back with 20 seconds to spare. Success yeah. right there. It was amazing. I think he had to call his girlfriend. Please, Matt. Or stalk. We both know. That. Yeah, sorry. More stalking. Well, yeah. He doesn't have a girlfriend. It's all right. He had to check in. That's a different show. Hey, uh, Jessica Leahy's her name. She's going to be talking to us about her book, The Gift of Failure, How the Best Parents Learn to Let Go So Their Children Can Succeed, which is why we're going to let you go, Ben. I need to find out when you start this. You're gonna, you need to find out? When do you start letting your kid like really right fail? Right now. No, I'd let your kid fail now. Like, give him a little assignment. Your kid, your child's four, right? Yeah. Let him give him an assignment and just let him fail. Well, even right now, it's like we go to put on our shoes and he goes, it's a race. So there's a competition. So And we, then when I beat him, he gets mad. Does he? Because he, I wanted to win is what he said. Does he then pull out the lightsaber? No. He just pouts and cries. And I'm like, well, is it easier to teach him the lesson now or just let him win and who cares? No, I, yeah, I teach him now. Just, okay. I mean, he won't master it now, but let him experience the agony of defeat. But then I get the look from my wife like, why are you Why are you shaming this four-year-old who can't he, – he's trying to put on his shoes. Well, you don't need to shame him. You don't well, need it's to not like, shaming. I hey, um, well, I do. Matt, we, yeah. we have a caller. Oh, we do? Yeah. Should I put him on? Uh, well, well, let's do this. Let's – yeah, hang on. Well, hang on. Oh, oh. they're gone. I was going to say we have to – well, again, Ben, we can't just put somebody on the air. So, so we will have Terry go – next time they call, we'll have Terry go – you know, make sure they pass the screening them. test. Make sure it's not your mother. <laughs> yeah, we don't want your mom defending you. Actually, we do. That'd be fine. I'd love. That would to be interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She'd probably jump on our side. And yeah, for sure. Attack well, herself. They call me every weekend. Yeah. Well, they're like, "Thank you so much for what you're doing with our boy." <laughs> it's like electroshock therapy, except yeah. verbal. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, Good. We'll uh, we'll get to the callers if we can, and uh, Jessica Leahy in just a few minutes. But before we do that, let's get to the news with Terry South, find out what's going on around the rest of the nation. Terry, what's up? Thanks, Matt. Less than 24 hours after saying transgender individuals should be able to use the bathroom they feel is appropriate, Donald Trump backtracked from that position. The Republican presidential frontrunner decided that he still believes North Carolina's law overturning anti-discrimination ordinances is causing a lot of problems. And he thinks local communities and states should make the decision. The federal government should not be involved, according to Trump. This comes despite the fact that there have not been any questions over whether the federal government should have a say in the matter. And the music legend Prince has passed away. The artist, formerly known as Prince, was found unresponsive in an elevator at his Paisley Park compound in Minnesota. CPR was unsuccessful. He was 57 years old. He had reportedly made a health-related emergency landing in his plane earlier this month, and his representative said that he was battling the flu. He was known for his genre-bending performances that transcended boundaries of rock, pop, funk, and R&B, and he had seven Grammys. He also sold over 100 million records worldwide. The suicide rate in the United States has unfortunately risen sharply. It's now at the highest levels in almost 30 years, particularly among women and middle-aged Americans. According to federal data, the suicide rate for women ages 45 to 64 increased by 63% over the last 10 years. It grew by 43% for men in the same range. The overall suicide rate climbed 24% during the period in this study, and there were so many increases in every age group that it raised the nation's suicide rate to its highest since 1986. 
President Obama told Saudi Arabia that he has serious concerns still about Iran. President Obama has been in meetings in Saudi Arabia for the past few days, and in a meeting with the Gulf Cooperation Council, he said that despite despite landmark nuclear deals reached with Iran last year, he still has concerns about the country's behavior. The president has promised Gulf leaders weapons and support to curb Iran's influence in the region, and he says he is actively working towards establishing better cooperation in Middle Eastern conflicts. And thunderstorms in the Houston area have made flooding even worse in parts of the city that have been drenched earlier this week. Houston and the surrounding counties received more than a foot of rain since Sunday night. The flooding has forced thousands of people from their homes, and it has also been the cause of eight deaths so far. And that's an update for today. Back to you, Matt. Thank you, Katie. Man, a lot deeper voice, uh, Terry. Yeah. Than you had. Sorry. So I thought you were doing the news, and then I yes, just. I know. But it was I, Katie. I, I was trying to wave you off, but you were just dead set were, on. I thought you were choking. No. I was asking Ben. The lack of something to read might have been a. Oh, I thought you memorized your news. No. <laughs> My last guy used to memorize the news. If you memorize it, then you end up having to like internalize it. And some of this stuff, That's you true. just wanted to disappear. So we were talking beforehand about um, th- about the book. That's you know, it's an important book. The about, gift of failure. You got to fail. The gift of failure. <laughs> we pointed out that Ben has a tendency to come up a little short when in, in the winning department. Right. Well, and, and we were talking about how you always are winning, and Ben tends to you know really appreciate the gift of failure. Yeah. And so then like we really say, embrace failure. If, if anybody out there wants to help us understand or, you know, help us defend, defend yeah. Ben, because Ben never gets defended here. Um, w- give us a call. And all of a sudden we've got <laughs> the lines lighting up like crazy. So on the phone with us is a, a gentleman named Bass. And uh, he is, he's going to help us. He's going to defend Ben. Bass, welcome to the Matt Townsend show. Now, how are you, brother? Good. So, what do you think? You think? Do you think we gang up on Ben, or do you think? Uh, what do you think? You know, I, I see it this way: the poor guy is so far away from home. You know, he has no way of getting a nice hug or a cuddle from his mom once in a while. That's true. You know, I'm I'm I'm, I'm a long haul truck driver. I'm away from home, and we get picked up all all uh, all the time as well. So. Since that I understand his loneliness all the way out there in Provo, Utah, you know, I just want to give him some support there. I, I understand his, you know, his ice cream habit, you know. <laughs> you guys pick on his ice cream. He could be a great ice cream entrepreneur. No. He could be the pink bunny, the blue bunny, the green bunny. Yes, he <laughs> could. And you know what? And bunny's an actually very appropriate uh, symbol for his ice cream because it always has hair in it. Yeah. Oh, great, yeah. yeah no, no, I mean, the poor guy needs to have, you know, support. I mean, look, you're a doctor. You can help the, the guy become something, you know, don't tear him down. No, you're I'm right. Bullying. Yeah. He may, you know, what, what, imagine tomorrow morning you get an, a call at home and they found Ben drowned in his own pool of ice cream. Oh. Suicide by ice cream. That would be horrible. Do you know what? That is a great point, Bass. That is a great point. What if... What if he had drowned right. in his own vanilla shake? Ugh. Exactly. Yeah. Man. Where, where are you driving now, Bass? I I just left Idaho Falls. I'm on my way to Salt Lake. Okay. Man, you know what? I appreciate this because – and I don't know if you know Ben's whole story, but we, we've raised him since a pup, right? And um, he, we, he gets hugs every day. 
So I don't worry about him not getting enough like love because our HR department, they're with him every day, hugging on him. But you're right. We probably need to be careful because if all of a sudden we lost him in the drowning in the tub of ice cream, we'd feel bad. I appreciate it, Bass. Yeah, and, and what, you know, think about it, you know, on his tombstone, it's going to say, Ben, drowned in ice cream because of sadness. I mean, that's a horrible <laughs> tombstone. It's true. That's so true. That, I mean, that's embarrassing. I know. Yeah. And, and, and think about his family, how they're going to have to cope with that kind of sadness for the rest of their life. And then even worse, one of us, like a truck driver, has to haul him back to his family. Oh, yeah. No, no mortuary would want to do that. No, no. We'll, we'll just probably bury him. At, we're going to bury him out back here in the back of BYU Broadcasting. They have some beds you know, back there. That might be a problem. You may get in trouble with the EPA. That's true. That's true. We don't want him to leach fat all over the water system here. Okay, well, Bass, uh, I appreciate your call. And now that we know you're there, and we, we could really call you – you know, you're like you're like the good angel. You're the you're the fairy godfather to um, to Ben. So you know when we're when we're being too rough with Ben, will you call back in? Well, you guys can call me any day. That's fine. I think that Terry probably has my number. Yeah, we'll have to. I, I may even put a sign on the back of my truck that says, you know, in support of Ben or something. Yeah, do that. Do that. <laughs> yeah, a little fundraiser. But we're, we'll do we'll do call outs. And Bass, I I need you to to get back in here with us because uh, nobody defends Ben like you just did. It was beautiful. Uh, well, this, this, uh, yep. They're cheering for you. Truckers for Ben. And truckers for Ben. I love that, Ben. I, mean, I love that, Bass. That's cool. Truckers are truckers are for Ben. Well, Bass, thank you. Drive safely and stay in touch. Uh, look, be looking out for Bass on his truck that says Truckers for Ben um, coming down from Idaho. Wow, cool. the, the Ben fan club. Population one. No, there's two now. Oh, there's, there's two. two. Well, Bass is Bass is watching out for him, and then right. there was another wonderful lady that listens. That, oh, that's right. And she feels, two for now. It's, it's going to grow. Okay. Well, I, I still believe Bass. Humble is, beginnings. He's not related to you, but he's a, <laughs> that he's we a know saint. Of. He's a saint. He's yeah. like, watch out for him. And he brought up some great points about, yeah. you know, drowning. In vanilla, vanilla ice yeah. cream. Good stuff. Okay, we'll take a break, folks, and come back with Jessica Leahy. He'd be talking about her book, The Gift of Failure, How the Best Parents Learn to Let Go So Their Children Can Succeed. Stick with us, folks. We're going to give you a little uh, Parenting 101 on the gift of failure. Stick with us. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, you've probably heard of Pinterest fails. You know, you see a funny fail on YouTube videos. And, you know, many of us experience fails regularly, right? Failure is a part of life. But, uh, in fact, ask yourself, think about it. What was your biggest fail? Where did you really just mess it up? You know, it seems like an awful question. But often we learn from these experiences. And... uh it really, I think, believe sets us up to have the higher highs, right? Because we've experienced the lower lows. Joining us on the phone is Jessica Leahy. She's our guest, and she's going to be talking about 
her book, The Gift of Failure. And uh, she's here to help us as parents learn how to let our children, you know, go and, and sometimes, I guess, fail in order to succeed. She joins us now uh, to give us her great insight. Miss Leahy, welcome to The Matt Townsend Show. Thank you so much for having me. You bet. Wonderful uh, concept on the book, right? Because it almost seems like it's such a natural thing. You wouldn't need to teach people about failure. But we live in a culture where we're constantly trying to avoid it. Well, you know, I've worked as a teacher for a long time, and teachers get that. I mean, I think most teachers understand that there's a lot of flailing about and, you know, sitting with a little bit of frustration that happens before you kind of have a breakthrough and figure things out. But, you know, it's also really hard to see kids frustrated. And and the parent side of me was having a little bit of trouble seeing my own kids frustrated at the same time that I was angry at the parents of my students for not letting them get frustrated and not letting them feel the consequences of their mistakes. Yeah. Yeah, I think teachers get it for the most part. Well, it's funny, isn't it? Because when it's your child, uh, (laughs) you you almost want to protect them from any negativity, any pain. Yeah, and, and I don't know what happened to my brain. I think I got a big um, line down the middle, and my teacher brain and my parent brain weren't really talking to each other for a yeah. while. But, yeah, you'd, it's hard to watch your kid get frustrated, especially when there are tears, especially when they're really uncomfortable or feeling like they're stupid. You know, you just want to fix that. And, and sometimes we, ha- we have to step back and remember that those are really important moments for them. Do you think as an educator – that our current – our education system might ingrain a fear of failure. You know, we're constantly in this pressure of grades, of success, of passing tests. Is, oh, is that part of it? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and I've written about the fact that, you know, in the in the book I quote a specific situation in which a student of mine who previously had been – just one of the most engaged and enthusiastic students, someone who loved to learn, admitted in a paper that she was so obsessed with the idea of being perfect and so worried about being seen as anything other than, you know, effortlessly perfect that she had completely lost her enjoyment of learning. That was mm. gone. And, uh, and that was just devastating to, for me to hear. Well, and learning is directly tied to failure. Yeah, you have to fail, really, yeah, right? Absolutely, and and the the other thing we have to be able to do there's this fantastic concept um, that you know educators talk about called desirable difficulties, and um, it means that you know something it's it's a good difficulty level. It's just frustrating enough that a kid has to sort of push through and learn through a little bit of challenge, and it's one of the most effective teaching tools we have. And if You know, if we're constantly giving kids, you know, instructions about, you know, here's the next step, sweetie, here's how you do it, you don't have to struggle at all, then we don't get to use that tool. And we need kids that can, you know, get a little frustrated and regroup and maybe read the instructions again and then say to themselves, you know, yeah, I I think I can figure this out. And kids that can't do that are a lot less teachable. Hmm. Now, what, what do you think leads to the difference between those that can do it and those that can't? You know, I, I, I think a lot of it, some of it comes down to temperament, clearly. Um, but a lot of it comes down to, there's some great research that's in, um, that I quote in Gift of Failure, where when you look at even very, very young children at, at age one, when you have parents who are highly directive and, show, and, you know, don't let the kid get frustrated and push through and sort of are always there with the next thing they need to do, those kids get they they learn to be helpless. It's called learned helplessness. Mm-hmm. And those kids don't develop sort of the emotional wherewithal to 
sort of sit back and push through. And, and it, when you take those parents away from those kids and then you give them tasks to do, they're a lot less likely to be able to push through on their own because they've never had to develop that skill. They've always had someone there to give them the next, uh, the next step. Hmm. So it's, it's the kids who actually, whose parents are there and supportive but not giving them the next step that are, will help redirect a little bit, but generally speaking will let the kids struggle for a little bit longer. Those are the kids that are a, a dream to teach and, and learn much more, learn a lot more information and learn it more durably. Hmm. And they come to class and uh, these children that I guess now the big word is resilient, they're resilient mm-hmm. to this stuff, they're able to adapt and mm-hmm. – um, what do you see that it does to their abilities? What are they able to do that uh, that that sets them aside and, and, and pushes them forward? Well, I'm glad you used the word adapt because I think that word is really important because it's really their ability, to, kids' ability to positively adapt to failure, not, you know, to not curl up in a ball and weep and, and think of themselves as stupid or, you know, the kids who don't just freak out and assume and take the failures personally, <clears throat> the kids who say, okay, what did I get wrong? What do I need to fix for next time? Those are the kids who are going to do well over the long term. And I talk, um, when I go around to schools, I talk about the kids that, you know, sometimes I'll give them constructive criticism on their writing or something, and occasionally kids will just shut down and not hear me because that is so challenging for them to hear. It's, it, they take it very personally. They think it's a personal failure. Um, and the problem is, is when they don't, when they're not able to f- to process constructive criticism and feedback, they can't ever incorporate that into their writing, their math, or whatever it is they're doing. So it's the kids that can listen and say, oh, okay, I see how I can improve, and then actually incorporate that into their, into their learning. And, and, you know, I know plenty of adults that aren't able to hear <laughs> negative feedback. It freaks them out. No, um, exactly. And, yeah, that, that's sort of the real key to success is positive adaptation to mistakes and failures. Is, um, I guess, are we born this way, do you sense? Are we conditioned? Is it our parenting? I mean, we've alluded to that a little bit, mm-hmm. that uh, uh, to, to – um, I guess highly directive of a type of parent might mm-hmm. oppress us a little bit and not have us not learn it. But it seems there, like sensitive people too might struggle more. There is a temper there is a the temperament, temperament element to it. But research there's some really famous research on rats that shows very specifically um about how clearly learned helplessness works. You know, if you take control away from an adolescent rat and and hurt it um, it learns that it has no control over um, stopping that pain. And when, you, when it gets to be an adult and you hurt it, it will do nothing to stop the pain, whereas rats, uh, the adolescent rats that have ha- been given the ability to stop, little shocks that they're being given to stop the pain, will stop the pain hmm. as adults. So, and there's, you know, there's all kinds of cool research on, you know, for example, kids who lived during the Depression and were old enough to get a job and make a small contribution to their families, as opposed to younger kids who couldn't do that, the, the kids who were able to make a small contribution to gain control in some way had much fewer mental health issues when they grew up than the kids who were not able to take control of the situation. So giving kids more autonomy, giving them some control over 
the things they do and their learning um, and how they do it and where they do it, that's going to be the key to sort of interrupting that cycle of learned helplessness. Yeah, I guess a lot of it is just about their ability to control it. And we do this in business too, which is maybe why we struggle at work and have a lot of people with learned helplessness at Mm -hmm. work because we tell them what they have to do Mm -hmm. and we tell them how they have to do it and when it's got to be done by Yeah, and I give the example in my talks, I explain to parents, I say, look, picture if you've been doing a job with a boss that trusts you for ages and you've been autonomous and you've had all this freedom to sort of do it the way you see fit and a new boss comes in that, you know, really wants to put his mark on, you know, on your, on the work and says, you know, for the next couple weeks, I'm going to need for you to pass everything by me and I want to see everything that you put out there. You feel resentful. You push back against that and it makes you less motivated from inside, less intrinsically motivated to do that work because you're feeling controlled. And that's the same thing that we see in kids. And, you know, anyone who's ever read Dan Pink's Drive or watched Dan Pink's TED Talk about what's in Drive understands that, you know, extrinsic motivators like grades or, you know, short-term incentives or, you know, bribing kids for their grades, that kind of stuff, um, those don't work over the long term to get kids excited about learning. Yeah. It's driven, though, it seems like by like this fear of parents um, thinking their child is like in pain. And how how do you get the fear out of the parent's heart? You know, I always like to say that at at a certain point, you have to think about your long-term goals for your children over your short-term sort of feeling better about yourself for alleviating that pain. Um, I talk in the book about a day that my my son, who was having organizational issues, left his homework at home. And, you know, he'd been getting in trouble for his organizational stuff, and we'd been working on it, but, you know, clearly we weren't there yet. And if I had just delivered that homework to him at school, he would have been able to go out to recess. He wouldn't have had this whole conflict with the teacher. Um, I would have felt so good about it. I would have been able to, like, say, oh, yeah, I was a good mom today. But I didn't take it. And what ended up happening was he had to have a meeting with the teacher in which the teacher said, look, this is it. time is up on this. You have to figure out a system. And that was the day he actually came up with a really effective system that has worked for three years since that day. Mm. Um, and if I had taken that homework that day, it would have short-circuited that entire process. Right. You know, I would have taught him, oh, you know, you don't really need to come up with any kind of system because never mind, the homework will just show up for you. Is it, is it, but you would have looked better. Oh, yeah. Because then you wouldn't be, you wouldn't as an educator have to go talk to another educator about (laughs) how your child doesn't have a system yet. Oh, yeah. No, we're still, you know, this is still something, you know, especially when you have kids in middle school. Yeah. Middle school, the entire time, I have one in middle school now and one in high school, Middle school, as I call it in the book, is prime time for failure. It is the time when we give kids more than they can handle and then teach them how to handle it. And that's, it's, the, it's so important that that's why there are schools out there that have finally put their foot down and said, no, we are not going to let you deliver things to your kids that they forgot anymore. There's no drop-offs after your kids are here for the day because part of our job as teachers, especially in middle school, is to help kids come up with systems that will help them feel the consequences of their mistakes and learn how to do better next time. Mm, I love that. (laughs) I'm so glad. (laughs) That is such a great idea. Like, I mean, well, now it's hard, too, because your kids have phones. So they'll text you like, I'm going to die. 
If I don't, I forgot my lunch. A headmaster recently asked me specifically, said, you know, I don't know what to do about parents who are texting their kids constantly during the school day. And I said, well, you know, because it is such a distraction to the kids. And I said, well, you could tell the parents that if they wouldn't call and have the kid physically taken out of class to please not text, because it is still that disruptive. Even if it's just the phone buzzing in their pocket, it removes the kids mentally from class. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's a major problem when they're constantly in touch with, uh, with the world while they're in class. Mm, great lessons. Let's take a break, Jessica. We are speaking with Jessica Leahy, the author of the book The Gift of Failure. Uh, you know, we, we need to go through it, folks. This is part of the learning process. She's going to continue her discussion uh, with us after the break. Just two minutes away, folks. Then we'll uh, figure out more about a failure and how to maybe allow it and, and get over ourselves so our kids can grow. Interesting stuff. Stick with us. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Do you let your children uh, fail if they've, you know, if they've forgotten their report that they needed to turn in? Do you just rush it over? Uh, you know, you got to because you're the one that wrote the report. For heaven's sakes, you want credit for what you spent all night doing. If you feel like you have created maybe a little uh, success monster in your family. Because you've never let them fail, then this is the uh, moment of all moments. We are talking on the phone right now with Jessica Leahy, and she is the author of the book, The Gift of Failure, How the Best Parents Learn to Let Go So Their Children Can Succeed. She joins us now to talk more about what we can be doing as parents to uh, facilitate, or at least not stop, uh, the failure, um, some of the failures of our children. Thank you so much again for being with us, Jessica. Sure thing. What do you think? Do um, do we do we just let our kids fail? Uh, do we need to you know choose wisely the failures, or do we yeah. just let life teach? You know, I think what you need to do is is especially with older kids is say, look, um, there's all this research that shows that if I give you a little more control over your life, especially your life around school, that you'll be more motivated yourself to learn. And so I've, I've been doing this wrong, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go ahead and give you more control. But before I do that, here are my really, really clear expectations for what I expect from you. You know, so for example, homework will get done to the best of your ability, and it'll get handed in. And then if you're not, if you don't do that, here are what the really clear expectations, or really clear consequences are going to be. And Hopefully, they're consequences that actually flow from the thing itself, like mm. natural consequences. So, you know, in our family, it's if you're not getting your work in, then you're responsible for setting up the meeting with the teacher and with us, and then you lead the meeting, and we talk about strategies for how you'll ch- turn that around. Um, and then, you know, and then sort of give your kids just especially you have to meet your kids where they are. Some kids are going to need more help from you and than others, but start just pulling back. Um, let your sort of alarm bells for when things are getting just so urgent and so, uh, you know, when you get freaked out about, you know, this homework assignment 
back off just a little bit and give your kids a little bit more faith because every time we step in for them and, and take over something or tell them that we'll just help them out or do it for them, what we're really telling them is that we don't trust them and we right. don't think they're competent enough to do it themselves. And if you show trust, they, they um, at first it seems like with my children, they'd be mm-hmm. emboldened by this. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, great, fine, sure. Yeah. But the reality is they're going to get bit. Right. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And, and it's it's fine to get bit because the the principle I love is they have to have ownership. Right. Yep. No no buy in. Yep. Um, then they're then they're, no participation in the process. They're not going to yep. buy into it. So yeah. they're, the, I like the idea too of just knowing they're going to fail a little mm-hmm. bit, but express express the trust and know that you're really growing a skill here, an ability. Right. Well, and, you know, for example, I was talking to a, a, a school counselor recently who was trying to help some parents understand why it was so important that her kid get a zero on a paper that he had plagiarized. The parents were livid, um, did not want him to get this, fit, this zero on this paper. They said it was going to harm his grade. And, you know, this is a kid who wanted to grow up to be a scientist, a doctor. And this is a kid who needs to learn that there are consequences for plagiarizing because it's either a zero on a paper now or lose your entire career when you're in your 20s. You know, I would certainly pick the zero on the paper now. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. And part of this, I guess, too, is you got to be smart enough as a parent um, to anticipate possible you know situations like if if a con and and be able to live it. So if they make a consequence that well, fine. This is what we do with our kids. If if my grades aren't better by Monday, then just take my phone. And yeah. okay, great. If that's what, <laughs> all right. But yeah. and how long will we take the phone for? And yeah. they'll fail. And and when they fail, they'll learn. But yeah. I've got to be strong enough and remember and follow through and allow it to happen. Yeah, and, and getting kids on board, especially if you're talking to them, you say, look, if, if this thing is happening, what do you think the consequences should exactly. be? And, you know, it's sort of, I always take it back to, you know, when you have a toddler, you don't say, would you like to wear a hat today? You say, would you like to wear the red hat or the blue hat? But even just giving a tiny bit of autonomy um, makes a huge difference. And when you were talking about trust, you know, I just wanted to interject that there's really clear research that shows that Kids who are more controlled by their parents, who feel like their parents are extremely controlling, are a lot more likely to lie to Mm. their parents. Mm. So if we'd like honesty from our children, then we have to show a little bit more faith in them. I love that. Yeah, and you'll get more more, uh, validation and trust from them. Yeah, I mean, and there's, you know, there's ups and downs, and things will go great for a little while, and you'll have a honeymoon period, and then things will fall apart. Exactly. But then that's the perfect time to talk about positive adaptation to failure. And when I say things will fall apart, I mean failing grades. I mean, like, bad stuff. But those are all important learning experiences. And I think parents conveniently forget some of the huge mistakes they made in their lives that (laughs) they learned a lot from. And it's important, I guess, to be the parent that is a, a safety net that can still mm-hmm. catch them, uh, you know, after they've hit the ground and the consequences have shattered them, then be there. Well, and make it really, really clear that we love them yeah, no um, matter what, not just based on their performance. Because I think 
parents don't realize it, but when their kid comes home with a failing grade and you respond with silence as opposed to, you know, the effusive praise you give when they come home with the A, that silence in response to a failing grade, that is withdrawal of love based on performance. Mm. And it's one of the most harmful things we do to children emotionally and I, I don't we don't mean it that way that's certainly not what we mean to do but that's what kids feel yeah, yeah. so the love has to always be present yeah and the support that's why you know the term for what i'm advocating for is autonomy supportive not you know bye kid you're on your own i'm leaving and good luck <laughs> yeah right you're there you're supportive but what you're supporting is their autonomy. You're supporting their ability to make decisions about how they're going to get something done and, and, uh, and how they're going to get there. And a lot of that is really important to their development of, you know, what are so-called executive functions, organization, and time management. Um, all of that's really important to how they learn that they learn how to do that over time. I mean, that is different, isn't it, than abandonment? <laughs> and, and almost yeah. this, and kind of with a chip on your shoulder, oh, lie. Okay, well, yeah. yeah. Yeah, watch the yeah, you're gonna yeah, you're gonna fail. Well, and and people have accused me of, you know, sort of this laissez faire parenting thing, but honestly I, I don't think I've ever been a s this is the most strict I've ever been in terms of, yeah, when I lay down really, really clear expectations and I tell you what the consequences are going to be, I am a bad parent if I do not follow through with those consequences. And, you know, when I'm really clear with my kids about that, you know, I think we don't give kids enough uh, credit for being able to understand that kind of logic. Mm. I wonder too if uh, so. It's one thing; it's a parenting issue, but it might also be a teaching issue and a, mm-hmm. and a system issue where right. our schools are trying to get you know hundreds of thousands of people through. Absolutely, and any anomaly is 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 difficult. So let's just all yeah. just do it. Do it this way. Everybody, do it this way. Well, and the parents also, you know, parents tell me all the time, yeah, I really would like to back off and give my kid more autonomy. I just don't want to do, be the first one to do it because then the school is going to think I'm a negligent parent or my kid is going to be the only one to not have me checking on their grades 20 times a day. Um, and I get that. And at the same time, also schools are set up to reward kids by giving them extrinsic rewards like grades, points, extra credit points, honors, all of that kind of stuff. And you know, the problem is is that what's getting lost in that is the fact that the process is what's more important than the actual product. The learning is more important than the grades. And yet what we do is we reward the grades. We don't reward the learning. And that's, that's incredibly uh, damaging to kids and, and just tends to set them up to be more and more oriented toward the product and not the process of learning. Oh, wow. Yeah, because the learning will carry them to better results the rest of their life, the grades won't always do that. Right. And, and the nice thing is, you know, home should be the one place where their goals should be more important than their grades. And so if we can, you know, kids don't near you, need to hear you say one more time how important their grades are. They know that. They hear it from everyone all day long. So if we could make home be the one place where their personal goals and their, what they're learning is actually stressed as important, um, that would go a long way to sort of giving them one safe harbor from the intense pressure of constantly being oriented towards grades. Mm, that's so good. Talk to me, uh, if you had to like wrap it up, Jessica, mm-hmm. in one, just one thing, mm-hmm. I call it the one thing that is the thing that makes the most difference yeah. for all of us as parents to start, yeah. what's the one thing we should do? Parenting is a long haul job. 
It is not about parenting for the moment. And in those moments when you're feeling like things are just urgent and crazy and you need to get a little nuts and hover a little too close, remember that your job over the long haul is to make it so they don't need us anymore. And as upsetting as that is for me as a mom, that's our job is to not be necessary. And we need to make kids feel competent so that they can get there on their own. Yeah, work yourself out of a job. Yep. Then they'll come back. Then, then they'll need you, but they'll bring a grandchild. Yep, and they won't be living on your couch. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Jessica Leahy, great stuff, my friend. That's awesome. The Gift of Failure is the name of the book. And uh, get the, the full name, just so you know. The Gift of Failure, How the Best Parents Learn to Let Go So Their Children Can Succeed. A great resource for all of us. You can get more information about Jessica on her website, jessicalehy.com. Jessicalehy.com. Appreciate it, Jessica. Thank you, and keep up the great work. For the rest of us, folks, it's time to start parenting. And remember, we've got to make it so that they don't need us anymore. You're going to work yourself out of a job. Isn't that cool? Scary sometimes. Does that bother you? If it does, maybe that's the reason you don't let them fail. Then they have to live with you forever. We'll take a break, my friends. We'll be right back. Stick with us, learning how to uh, lead those we love most. We'll be right back. Should we just play it? Oh, yeah. You got to let your kids fail a bit. Since we've been raising Ben, we've tolerated a lot of failure. But now he's got fans calling in like Bass, the trucker, who is now starting a new group, Truckers for Ben. We should should sell stickers and T-shirts. Yeah, and ice cream. (laughs) We got to do a fundraiser, Ben. Sell some of your ice cream. See how much money we can raise. Actually, we joke about Ben's ice cream. It is, he's really, he's very good at uh, ice cream making. And really, there's only one problem we have ever found. The flavor is incredible. Uh, All the products he uses, top notch. He really, he's the real deal. He is an ice, he's an ice cream mater. (laughs) um, If he would only strain it, that's all we're saying. Just strain it, just Put it through a colander. Get some of the impurities out. What did you find? I don't want to bring it up here. Blah. Hey, um, parenting, it's a hard thing for you, isn't it? I mean, it's so hard for me. I have six kids, guys. And when I I raised the first one with my wife and oh, it just seemed easier. But I mean, she had her issues. But And then the next one was so different than the first and then the third one, I'm not even sure was ours. Every child's different. So we talk about kids needing to learn to adapt, but parents, we need to adapt as well. It's not an easy thing. Life is difficult, and uh, those were great principles that we just learned from, from Jessica. You got to adapt. And if, if you can be an adaptable parent, you're going to create a more adaptable a family and a more adaptable child. Kids got to learn that we're not always going to eat chicken nuggets. They just got to learn that. 
And by the way, this isn't just for your kids. This could just be for the average Joe, right? Everybody makes mistakes. Everybody has a failure now and then. There was a first-time air passenger that opened a plane emergency exit door uh, while looking for the restroom. An airline passenger who had taken to the skies for the first time caused chaos when she mistook the emergency exit for the restroom and tried to open it. The unnamed traveler was new to life up in the clouds. She reportedly accidentally deployed the evacuation slide of the airplane following this error. The alleged... (laughs) We have audio from the scene. The uh, alleged incident occurred on a China Southern Airlines on Friday, March 25th, just after the plane had boarded. Following the mishap, passengers were evacuated from the flight um, from Chongqing to Shenzhen. Man, for some reason, my Chinese is way off today. By um, over two hours, it delayed at two hours. The embarrassed passenger said that it was her first time taking a flight, and the long queue to the toilet had forced her to look for another option. Uh, you know, I don't want to. I don't want to get down on you, but uh, you might not want to pull that handle that says emergency exit. You might not want to pull that one. Maybe it said it in English, and so she was confused. Oh, maybe that's exactly yeah. it. It was an American airplane. That's probably it. So, uh, you know, you think you had it bad? Failure. It's not – I mean, you just delayed your entire flight. You just set off a a huge floating device slide. And so now she'll know never to pull the emergency exit again. Yeah. Lesson learned. The funny thing is, is – you can't always just chalk it up. Officer, look, I'm new to this. <laughs> Lesson learned. My bad. You can't always chalk it up to that. At some point, you still might have to pay the consequence. Sure, you might get in trouble. Everybody on the airplane is mad at you now. You know, they don't give you extra pretzels. What do you do? You learn. That's what you do. We'll take a break, folks. When we come back, whole new show. We're going to be getting into a movie review with Ron Gustafson. We'll also be, um, you know, talking with the Meet the Producers. I believe we've got a little producer segment coming up. Mm-mm, a whole new hour of fun and excitement helping you live longer, folks. Love stronger. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Are you having a good day? It's Friday. And Friday, if you know anything about our show means we're going to be reviewing the movies. We will be uh, talking about uh, some of the latest and greatest releases with Rod Gustafson. The Huntsman. The Huntsman. The retelling of Snow White version 2. Not the GOP candidate from four years ago. No. The Huntsman. The Huntsman. Which is really part two. This is actually Thor. Yes. But as a... Hunter in the Snow White tale, I guess. 
<laughs> they had a movie a couple years ago called The Huntsman. This is the sequel to The Huntsman. The Huntsman. As it continues. Um, it's interesting. Uh, Thor, you bring up the name Thor. Who who played Thor in the movies? Hold Do you on. know? Yes. Well, is it Chris Hemsworth? There you go. Chris Hemsworth. I always just call him Thor. Because then you see him in random movies and doing things. You know, Thor's a computer expert now, or Thor. <laughs> Thor this, Thor that. Um, well, apparently a, a, a Boy Scout uh, helped. He returned Chris Hemsworth's wallet. Oh, I saw that. He found his wallet and returned it to Chris Hemsworth. I guess only to find out that he had found Thor's wallet. What do you do when you take Thor, his wallet? You return it to Thor? Do you think Thor should pay him? It's up to Thor. He is a thunder god. You kind of let him do what he wants. Always let the thunder god <laughs> do whatever the thunder god He's wants. He's got that big hammer. Yeah. Uh, so he, uh, actor Chris Hemsworth, who is known for Thor in the Marvel Cinematic Universe films, mm. lost his wallet. He left it at a table in a restaurant. Very un-Thor-like. By the way, in an area that was kind of a rough area. Ooh. He didn't expect to get it back, but Tristan Budzin Barker, a 17-year-old young man working toward getting his Eagle Scout, found the wallet and returned it with a note. P.S. Mom saw you were on Ellen this week and asked if we could have some tickets. Buds and Barker wrote on the note. Nice job. Isn't that cool? I don't know if he got tickets, but apparently they appeared on Ellen. So tickets or not, he was on the Ellen show. If it happens on the internet and it has a mild, I guess, reaction the internet does where people are talking about it, they'll end up on Ellen. Oh, yeah. They'll go track down whoever little kid doing whatever. and <laughs> It's really cool. And this, this guy's now sitting up there with Chris Hemsworth. Yeah. It's cool. Those kind of stories, are, people see them and they're kind of interesting. Yeah. I mean, I personally, yeah. I would have done the same thing. But I would have borrowed some money out of it. <laughs> would you be tempted to? What if there's like Do, do you think he knows? Bucks? You take like a 20? I mean, he wouldn't know. He's not going to know. You take a Harriet Tubman. Yeah. He's not going to know. Do you, think, do you think Thor really uses human cash? Well, the Asgard currency doesn't work here. Oh, my heavens. Did we just dive into geekdom? <laughs> did you hear how fast that went to Geekville? What? It's common knowledge. And I don't want to – I'm not disparaging people that like these you things. You just did. You just talked the currency. Yeah. I didn't tell you the name. I don't, oh, I don't know the name. This is so crazy. How do you know that? Because. That's information. You I, don't need to know. I've seen the movies. I've I've read some of the comic books. I've gone through the Wikipedia entries to know what the current status of Asgard. It's over Oklahoma, by the way. And it's just, you know, what are you going to do? Well, what how how should, strong is Asgardian currency compared to um, U.S. currency? I think it's trending higher. Okay. It's trending – it's a little weaker against the yen, but okay. what isn't nowadays? Just trying to cleanse the palate. How about this? <laughs> Did that distract you enough to get you off of that subject? No. I should never have brought up a story with Thor involved. You can tell when Matt feels neglected because he starts pressing buttons. Well, you, you were talking about movies, right? Yeah. You got Rod Gustafson coming up next. Guess what he's reviewing next week? 
don't even want to know. Don't even want to know. Captain America Civil War. Don't even want to know. Hey, I forgot. Uh, We've got to get to the headlines. We do. And who better to help us with the headlines than Katie Jarvis. Katie, what's going on around the rest of the world? Save me. Thank you, Matt. The FBI reportedly paid more than $1 million for the hacking tool they used to open the San Bernardino shooter's phone. The agency director said that it was worth it. The FBI and Apple were in a long battle over access to the suspect's phone, and the Justice Department initially tried a court order to compel the company to open the phone before the FBI was able to access its information. President Obama issued a statement on the passing of musician Prince. He was found in an elevator in his compound in Minnesota yesterday. President Obama said that few artists have influenced the sound and trajectory of popular music more distinctly than Prince did. He was 57 years old. Five students from Texas are charged with stealing dinosaur bones in Utah. Prosecutors in Utah charged the five students with stealing the bones weighing at least 60 pounds during a field trip arranged by their Texas community college last year. The bones are about 145 to 150 million years old, and they were illegally removed from a Jurassic period fossil trove at a quarry in southern Utah. According to charging documents, the accused students also damaged the bones and the stone at the quarry. And an astronaut is running a marathon this weekend from space. British astronaut Tim Peake isn't letting the fact that he's in space keeping him from running the London Marathon. When runners set off on the course, Peake plans to strap himself to a treadmill in the International Space Station and tune into live coverage of the marathon. If he completes the distance, he'll be the first man to ever run a marathon in space. That comes nine years after a woman did it first. Peak has now been in space for about four months, and he's trying to finish the race in three and a half to four hours, which would be particularly impressive for being in space. Not only will he be dealing with inevitable muscle loss from his time in less gravity, he'll also face the additional challenge of being harnessed to the treadmill. And that's an update for today. Back to you, Matt. Thank you, Katie Jarvis. Appreciate... uh the news now. We got a lot to talk about. Hey, have you ever heard of uh, um, Jonathan Nicola? No, no one has. He is an incredible basketball player, a star of his high school basketball team. In Canada. Canadians play basketball too, Terry. That's where it was yeah. invented. I, I realize that, but still. So do not dismiss. How many Canadians make it to the NBA? There, there are several, and they're really good. They're really good. This but guy, it's still a small number when you look at the. This guy play. could have maybe made it to the NBA. Except the NBA would have figured this out. So check out this story. Um, Meaning the gray hairs that are. He doesn't have gray hairs yet. He colors them. Nicola told the star in January, the feature story, that he arrived in Windsor on November 22nd, 2015, just three days before his 17th birthday. He said he left South Sudan, his disease-ridden, war-torn home, for a better life in Windsor. But here's the problem. Jonathan Nicola is not 17 years old. He's 30. So he came from Sudan at 30, lied and said he was 17, and then got to play his senior year of basketball and killed it, did a great job. Maybe too good. And then some, everyone's like, I don't think he's – he doesn't seem 17 to me. <laughs> but I've watched my kids play Little League ball with people that I swear had children. 
and they were just twelve. <laughs> but like six four. Yeah. It's Some, just crazy. Sometimes it's hard to tell, other times you know, but that's why before you enter like they said there were hopes of the NBA draft and yeah. yeah. They do vetting and they, they send out people to look into know. your background. But I know, are they gonna send someone to Sudan? Doubt it. No, but you could figure it out after a while. I mean, you could at least cut him in half and count the rings. Ooh. <laughs> but but if he's good enough to, like, Ooh. if he's good enough for the NBA draft now, why yeah. why is it a problem? Because he lied. I don't think the NBA would care. If he was super good. And if you're 30, you're half dead when it comes to the NBA. But are you? You are. But what if you think you're 17? Then you play like a 17-year-old. Mind over matter? Is that what you're yeah. saying? Oh. You play like you th- So I feel like I'm 14. I am the healthiest human ever known to man. So you start walking around on right. your 40-plus-year-old knees. Why are you bringing up my 40-plus-year-old knees? I'm saying. It's my hips, not my knees. That there's your mental age and there's reality. <sighs> you are so rude. <laughs> so rude. Uh, uh, today is jelly bean day. There you go. Personally, I'm not fond of jelly beans. Me no like. Too sugary. Yeah. I don't like them. Depends on the flavor, too. Yeah, I mean, yeah. you could Starburst, they have some jelly beans. I like those because I like Starburst. Yeah. Yeah. Then I, there's some other ones that just taste like cough medicine. Just <laughs> kind of gross. Right. You know, Ronald Reagan used to love the old jelly bean. He did. Had a jelly bean jar. It's a thing. But not a fan. No. Uh, today's also Earth Day. So today, celebrate and protect our natural environment by taking care of Earth. Mother hug, Earth. Hug the Earth. Go hug the Earth. Just lay down on the ground give it a big warm hug. Earth Day. Yeah. And try not to, like, pollute things. That's a good one. At least one day. Let's let's have let's make a let's have a moratorium today on polluting things. <laughs> no Maybe use polluting things. Put put your, your disposable item in the correct garbage disposal can of some yeah. kind. So if it's a recyclable, do that. It's usually just another foot to the left or right, just toss it in. Now let me ask you this. Yes. Because so they they clean my office, they vacuum my office, they take out leave, my leave the door unlocked. And yeah. they leave the door unlocked. <laughs> or wide open, today whichever. They left everybody's door unlocked. Um but today I think they're mad at me. What'd they do? Well, I found my garbage can my garbage had been changed yes. out and they but they left the bag on my desk. Ooh. Are they sending a message? I don't know. Mm. Like, hey, take your own garbage out, you yeah. dummy. I think it's almost like the horse head in the bed. Yeah. I think they're, yeah. they're warning Except there you wasn't, about something. There was no horse for the listeners. No, no animals were harmed. Were harmed in this story. But I didn't know how to, I was offended. Like, did I offend the wow. staff? So. Well, the, the sanitation uh, custodial cartel at BYU is... Uh, a difficult one when you cross them. So mm-hmm. maybe what, you did do something. What mm-hmm. have you been putting in your trash? I mean, that's kind of personal. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. There's just one, man, one man does not ask another man what he puts in his trash. That's just a, a common rule. <laughs> that's so true. <laughs> Don't ever do that, especially on the air, Ben. How many times have we done this where we've told you what you can say on the air and what you can't? And you just keep asking things. I don't know. My whole personal life has been shared on the air against my will. I know. Even some of your personal life that you didn't even know about. I no, know. We just totally made it up. But that's why you've got guys like Bass calling in. Yeah. If you didn't hear it, 
last hour, Bass saved Ben's hide. Or at least tried to defend it. Yeah. Truckers for Ben. Truckers for Ben. United. Uh, it's a new movement. Truckers for Ben. It's on the podcast. Yeah. So It'll be if, up later today. If I ever run for public office, I I have Truckers for Ben, the union. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Union might be a little strong. Yeah. I mean, the truckers really are the ones that have the union. More of a grassroots sure. movement. You're just more of their charitable cause. It, it will be like a movement. Yeah. Yeah. I think. Whatever. Well, I, I don't know if he's really a cause. You, you've seen those things where people have the little stuffed animal dangling from the back of their car? <laughs> yeah. Just to, just off the bumper? Yeah. That's kind of what I see Ben when it comes to the truckers yeah, for he's Ben. Like the, yeah. He's just that thing dangling off he's the like back the of the car. He's like the little Tigger the Tiger. Yeah. Just dangling from his neck at the back of the truck. Gee, yeah. thanks. Inches from peril from hitting the, the ground at every dip. Bass is listening. <laughs> Bass has now got all these great ideas of what he can do to raise money. Um, we are going to take a break, my friends. Got a great show coming up for you. We'll be getting to Rod Gustafson to talk about some of the upcoming movies that will be released. Also, the producers, we uh, you know we like to let the producers come in and teach and educate us. Also give you a, a chance to meet all of the people behind the scenes at the Matt Townsend Show. And we will be talking with our good buddies at BYU Sports Nation. So much fun. Still ahead. We'll be right back. Rod Gustafson up next. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. We are going to head up to Canada now to uh, visit our good buddy Rod Gustafson up there from ParentPreviews.com and find out uh, what is going on in the movie world. We know The Huntsman, uh, another, uh, I guess, is this, what is this? Is this the sequel? Yeah, well, no, Matt, this is. This is the most creative part of this movie. It's mm. a prequel and a sequel in one movie. Wow. This yeah. sounds exciting. Rod, welcome, my friend. Hi, thank you. It's good to be here way up in Canada. We, we were just talking about Canada and a basketball player up there that was 17 years old, pretending to be 17, but really 30. <laughs> wow, yeah. interesting. So okay. you, you're famous again. Talk Very to me about good. The Huntsman. The Huntsman Winter's War. That's what this one is. Now, If for me, it was a forgettable movie, but I've met a few people that liked it. Back in 2012, four years ago, we had Snow White and the Huntsman, which took place kind of like when, when Snow White became, uh, when she came onto the scene and all that business. It was basically the Snow White story, okay, with a bit of an emphasis on the Huntsman. Hmm. And uh, the Huntsman being played by Chris Hemsworth, and he's back again in this movie. Now, this movie tells the backstory of the evil queen and the backstory of the Huntsman, and it goes up to the point of the last movie, and then on the screen it says, seven years later. And then the action picks up again, and so that's where the last movie would have been. Oh, wow. And then you come back into the story on this one. It's really kind of weird. You know, once this is on home video, you'll be able to watch in the first half of the movie, pull out the uh, Blu-ray or whatever, and stick in the, the one from 2012, watch it, pull it out, and then stick this one back <laughs> in and watch the last half. Yeah. Yeah, you'll have the whole story. Is it? I mean, it, again, it's kind of uh, it's it's back to the stories that work, right? We're just going back to Hollywood's going back to the stories that work. Yeah, they are, and and I mean, there's something. First of all, 
there's something very appealing to Hollywood about a story that's in the public domain because there's no licensing fees and you can adapt yeah. it, you can twist it, bend it, and do whatever you want with it. So, yeah, so so this story basically it tells us the 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 as I mentioned the backstory of the Huntsman. It turns out that there were these two queens. Uh, the the wicked queen that we met in the last movie, who is played by Charlize Theron, and it turns out that her and her sister had a bit of a tiff, and so her sister went and started her. She she got cursed, and and anything she touched froze. See if that sounds familiar. Mm. And uh, so her name's Freya, and she goes and she starts up her own kingdom. Uh, that's this kind of ice palace kingdom. And yeah, this is sounding a lot like a popular Disney movie from a couple of years back. <laughs> and she builds this army of young children. She goes out and, and slaughters all the parents in her kingdom and captures the children and trains them to be warriors and so that she can keep on uh, conquering other kingdoms and everything else. This is basically an issue of anger management, Matt. She really needed you to do some <laughs> counseling work, and none of this would have happened. That's but, right. But that's basically what's going on here. And, uh, and so that's the story, and that's how the Huntsman got involved, was he was one of these captured children. And it turns out there was also another captured child who is a beautiful young lady, and her and the Huntsman fall in love, and blah, blah, blah. And that's, <laughs> that's, that's another subplot that's going on here. And then the two queens, of course, are also going to start fighting. Now, the reason I sound very vague and kind of lost trying to tell you the story is because the story is very vague and very lost. <laughs> it, it really um, is, it's not so much that it's difficult to follow, but it's kind of like you shrug your shoulders and go, why? And this is one of those fantasy movies that's full of characters who can never be killed until the right moment comes. And even when they are dead, you're not really sure they're dead because they may come back to life again. And I just get frustrated with those movies because I find that they manipulate the audience and you, you know, you really can't trust anything you see on the screen. So you're just along for the roller coaster ride. Why, now, why would they need to do that? It seems like you could, they could just make it so much easier and rich. Yeah, I, I wonder <laughs> that same that question. Out. And I, I really, I really wish I had the answer for you because that's how come somebody just before this movie started, um, uh, somebody sitting in the seat next to me said, so do you like fantasy movies? No, I don't like fantasy movies. And, and then she said, well, why not? And so I described her all the things I don't like about fantasy movies. And by the time this movie was done, she said, okay, I get your point. <laughs> I'm with you. I'm with yeah. you on that. What, uh, what rating or what grades did you give uh, The Huntsman Winter's War? Well, you know, the biggest issue in this movie is the violence. And that was the issue with the last movie, too. And when we get these films that are based on, you know, classic fairy tales or whatever, and especially you, know, you say Snow White, and you immediately think of seven singing little dwarves, right? By the right. way, the only comic relief in this movie, there are some dwarves, they're real real people dwarves who are in this film as well, what we call little people, the politically correct term. But anyhow, when you when you hear... Uh, Snow White, that's what you think of. And so we like to give parents a heads up that this is not your father's Snow White. This is a very, um, it, this one has much more violence in it. Now, this particular film is a little less violent than what that last one was. Mm. But there's still um, many fantastical weapons. Like one of the queens is able to shoot out all of this dark 
goo out of her body. I, I know it's just <laughs> doesn't sound right. And it can impale people. It's the weirdest stuff. Eh? Meanwhile, the other one's freezing people, which is a lot more humane. <laughs> but so, yeah, we've got all that type of stuff going on here as well. So it can be, it's very, it's, there are some frightening scenes and there's some blood and whatnot in this film as well. So a major warning on the violence. And there's also a little sexual scene that takes place too with some very, very carefully placed uh, body parts and camera angles, if you hmm. know what I mean. Yeah. More than what was necessary in this story. So it really, it's, it's the adult fairy tale. Yeah, it is. This one's getting a C plus. You know, really, it's not worth your money. Yeah. It really isn't. Go go rent something on home video. It's time to get the 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 uh, DVDs out again and and refresh your memory of yeah. all the old yeah. classics. <laughs> That's absolutely right. Well, Rod, we appreciate you and the great work that you do there at ParentPreviews dot com. Again, for everybody listening. Go check out the website, parentpreviews.com, because every movie is up there. I mean, the kids' movies give you – they they create dialogues and other things that uh, you can do to make the experience taking your family to the movies uh, so much richer, so much more valuable, plus just a heads up on what to watch out for. So, Rod, keep up the great work up there. Thank you, Matt. Thank you. And uh, we'll take a break and come back. When we come back, the producers are here. The petite producers, they like me to call them. And uh, we're going to be talking. Actually, they're going to surprise me. They like to surprise me. But the goal is usually let's learn together and see what one generation can teach another generation. Stick with us, folks. Tons of fun still ahead. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends. Hey, in studio, two of our great uh, producers. They like to be called the petite producers, but uh, that name's already been used by Ben. Uh, so um, Ben's a petite producer now? Yeah. Ben invented the name petite producer. <laughs> no, you did. Did I? You did. Uh, they also are called the terrific team of Tan and Thomas. Woo! Yes. And they have been working for at least the last 12 minutes to put hey. together a segment. No, that's so not because true. Because it's finals we week. We, and you guys are, are deciding to bring up gender and politics. Yes, it's important. Yes. Let's now toss it over to Leanna Tan. Leanna, yeah. Leanna, what, uh, what is your take on politics? Yeah, well, I think that gender and politics is very relevant right now. I mean, obviously we have... Women and men running for president right now, so I think it's. Right. And this is one of the first years up. that a woman has made it this far in the American presidential election. That's yeah. true. Wow, as that's as the presidential a, candidate, that idea. is yeah. absolutely Love those true. Rhinestones. Um, yeah. So I was looking at the Center for American Women in Politics, mm-hmm. and they gave us some stats of how many women are actually in politics right now. Only one hundred four out of five hundred thirty-five um, Congress of this, yeah, people. Okay are women. and really? then A fifth, basically. A fifth. So and then fifth. 20 out of 100 are in the Senate. That's what, also a fifth. What is the big deal? Why aren't women... Come on! Well, hold on, Matt. We're oh, going to get there. Hold <laughs> your horses. Sorry. It's because we're not running, but we're thinking about it. Okay. Tan and, and Thomas, the terrific team. Exactly. Yeah. Next so president. go run for election. Thomas and Tan, 2020. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Think about it. Are you guys announcing something? Oh, that was yeah. my announcement. So... Yeah, I did work on that. But actually, I, for the Democratic poll, they took some 
national um, it's like a national opinion poll. Opinion yeah. And forty seven point seven percent of the people are would vote for Hillary, a woman, and forty six point three would vote for Sanders, a man. So it's pretty neck and neck right now. Yeah. But actually, in the, the Democratic woman election, is, yeah. is kind of leading in the Democratic. She's killing it. Yeah, she's, she, she is. is going to win, even though Bernard Sanders keeps you know nipping at her heels. Exactly, and so. This brought me to think, um, who makes a better political leader, women or men? And so I have a study here. I just are are we read. going by history? Uh, we're doing it by uh, – well, hold on. Hypothetically. We're, we're going to go by – we're, we're, we're going by a survey. We're okay, going let's by, go for uh, it. Data. This is good. This is a, the Pew Global Attitude Survey. Yeah, and yeah. it says um, that they ask people, which of the following statements comes closest to your opinion about men and women as political leaders? Men generally make better political leaders than women. Women generally make pol- better political leaders than men. Or in general, women and men make equally good political leaders. And I think it's interesting the survey results now in 20 uh, – well, I guess this was taken in 2010 – but compared to like years and years ago. Mm-hmm. So it says, um, aside from Ni- Nigeria, the most common response in all countries in our sample is that men and women are equally qualified to be political There you leaders. have it. In Britain, this response is given by 83%, percent, perhaps a reflection of the fact that the position of prime minister in Britain has been held by a woman. And then Japan, Mexico, and the United States all have high proportions of respondents saying that both genders make equally good leaders. However, in Nigeria, there's a preference for male leaders with 48% saying that they make better leaders. This likely stems from the political culture of Nigeria where women are often marginalized for social and religious reasons. So it looks on this survey that uh, men and women are equal. But um, I don't know if that's true. So we have to um, we, we have a way of testing this, actually. Um, How are you going to test it? We actually have some scenarios. We need to we need <laughs> to ask you. OK, so um, okay. Um, to test Matt, your... Matt, we need, we need your full attention, though, okay. right? Are you no, taking I'm... a selfie? You're taking a selfie. He's taking okay, a selfie gosh. in the middle of this segment. I want the listeners to know. Well, no, I don't know what you're talking about. We are going... We have... We want to test. We want to see... Test it. We are females and you're a male. So we're, okay. we're going to know. We're gonna we don't need to test some... that. <laughs> no, that's <laughs> Let's that's just be proven. real, okay? I'll, let's just, I'll give you guys that. <laughs> okay. Yeah, we're we, we were There'll smart no enough to figure that one okay, out. Okay, good. Okay, good. So we're going to put you in some scenarios okay. and we're going to compare our answers, okay? Yeah. So first question. This is testing your survival skills, and, your and resourcefulness. resourcefulness. Okay. If you woke up one morning to find that the world had fallen into a zombie apocalypse. Right, right. What's the first thing that you would do? First thing I would the do. The very first yes. thing you would do. Well, I'd probably need to use the restroom. Oh, my. Because I just woke up. All right. It's Caitlin? Caitlin? No. No, Matt. No. Well, yes. The no. first thing that yes. I would do is make sure go find clean water and store it and jugs. And yeah. fuel. And fuel so that I could leave. Okay. Water and fuel. So the zombies idea. will find you and your family? They'll know in exactly the where to go. Well, by the way, there is clean water in the bathroom. Is there? How do you know that? How do you know the zombies haven't contaminated the plumbing system overnight? Well, wouldn't I be dead if a zombie was in my house? It's not in your house. My... It was in it was in the sewer. Oh, oh, because they oh, good point. It contaminated okay, the water. But again, I, I think I'm still right because I would still get up and go to the bathroom. That I'd doesn't ha- mean that's not a great survival skill. Well, it is because right, if you don't, skill. you will die. It's true. Mm-hmm. It, this is a good. But if that's your the body. first thing. But if that takes precedence over finding water and fuel, you're dead. Well, how could it not take precedence? It's telling my you're bladder, dead. "Hey, <clears throat> we need to evacuate." Really, <clears throat> before you even take okay. it. Okay. Female totally won this one. Okay, the okay. next one. If your house was on fire and you could only save one thing, what would it be? Go. If, I, if my house was on fire and I could only save one, one thing, thing, well, my family. Okay, that's horrible. <laughs> I'm just kidding. 
I would say my journal. No, let's no, let's say my journal. Let's, okay. Your journal. I mean, you, a Matt, family replaceable. No, let's journal. Let's throw this out there. It's my your family, your humans aside, every okay. your humans are safe. You need to pick like a physical. Do I have an animals? Object. Do you, I don't know? Do you? Uh, and my house was on fire. And you can only have, save one, by the I way. Would so you save, can't save the family. Okay, you have like I one would, person in the I family. I would probably go save my file on my fire insurance and my how and my home insurance. I'd go grab that file and okay, I'd run out the door. That was here. a very good answer. That was a that good answer. That wasn't even just a but, good answer. But that is testing. This was a question supposed to testing your morals and values. So I think your that, values fall you know, on I very value logical history, means. My own personal history. I think we want a president that values history. I'd save the journal. Wow. Even if I die in the fire, I'll throw my journal out so people will remember my name. Well, you know what? If I were a firefighter, I'd <laughs> throw it back in. <laughs> I'd throw it right in the window. All right, Matt. Okay, That's why you're not on. Okay, I, think, I think Matt may have won that question. If I look that at was the score, really I'm looking. I think the we're score. Wondering. I was seeing it two to zero. No, we're definitely one to one. It's one to one. Okay, okay. so. You're in a plane, yeah. Okay, and the plane's in the middle of crashing, and there's nothing you can do. About right, it. you're gonna die. And you have a large population of international people on this plane with you. Okay, so not everyone speaks the same language. Right, and you're the only one that can speak. Okay, English and English and, and you their speak language. Spanish, right? Okay, yeah. See. Okay, so there's a lot of Spanish speakers and there's a lot of English speakers yeah, yeah. on this plane. So you're the only one that can speak both languages. See. How would you safely get everybody off of the plane? Well, we're about to crash, right? Yes. You're gonna land in a water, a, a, like a wa- body of water. So, so and so did we land? So, so you're, no, you're, you're crashing, crashing, but you're, you're crashing, crashing over a body of water. water, and then you can crash there if you want to. Yeah. How would I get everybody safely off, of off the... the plane? This is testing your leadership well, skills. Well, no one's getting off this plane if we crash. Okay. Why? Well, 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 they could if you're a good leader. Are you even gonna try? Well, I'm not the pilot. Oh, am I the pilot? Well, you're the only one that can speak English and, and relate Spanish. to the, the English speakers. That's maybe the pilot and then these an- internationals. Then that- I'd say, ay caramba, vamos a morir. Wow, that was, that was good. <laughs> I know exactly Inspiring. what you just said, but I, how was that helpful? I, I just said, inspired. wow, so if you were, to we're be about to die. If you would be oh, president and we had a bomb headed towards our country, that's all you would do? Yeah, I'd yell, ay caramba, we're about to die. Okay. No, but see, <clears> I, I where's can't. Where's the buzzer? Come on, Ben. What Give I, me an here, <clears throat> Here's what I would do. He's a man. At some point, the pilots need to land the plane. But then I would try to keep everyone calm. Mm. And then I would teach them to get in the crash position that they want to all die in. Wow. So everybody take the position. (laughs) If you want to die with your head between your legs, put your head down there. If you want to die with your head, you know, under your arm, put your head there. Just choose the way you want to die. I think I would go to the snack area. By the way. Grab all of that. My no, was right. I would I definitely, would, if I had the language skills, there are literally seats on airplanes that turn into rafts. Okay. That's in the instruction pamphlet. So grab the pamphlet and start translating it but you understand, for all the Spanish speakers. But you understand, I could talk all day and I still got Larry up front flying the plane. Yeah, but you got to get people out of the plane. He's he's going to crash it. Not but at you're 300 gonna miles an hour. Front, I would take the microphone and then just start speaking in that language, you know, translating or something. And helping people stay calm. I'm, I think this segment perfectly I'd illustrates. I'd like start singing some lullabies or something. Why? Like there's some Spanish sometimes lullabies. Sometimes a disparity. No, Leanna, no. No, no, no. <laughs> we're not singing Spanish lullabies. <sighs> we have one more question. Okay, this is, this okay, is you probably, only have 30 seconds. This is probably the most important question. Yeah. If there was a fight between a grilled cheese sandwich and a taco... Who would win? If there's a fight between a grilled cheese sandwich and a and taco, a taco who, who would, would win? win? Uh, me, because I'd eat both of them. <laughs> I'm saying the taco, it's got a little kick. 
to it. You know, like, no, I'm spice. saying if we're having a fair fight, it's gonna be a grilled cheese. But if we're like doing a prison rules fight, it's gonna be the taco. Hard shell, hard shell, hard shell taco. Um, fellow listeners, <laughs> now you know why we will never do a producer segment again. <laughs> Because what are you women, talking about? This think, was a fantastic segment. I think women make great leaders. Women do make incredible leaders. And I even, Long story I, short. I personally think, in reality, they're better probably politic- pol- political leaders than the men. Great. Because I believe they might be able to maneuver the social networks in a calmer, healthier way. Opinions expressed reflect the opinions of the show host and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of the staff and management of BYU Radio. <laughs> Excuse much. me, Ben. Well, long story short, Matt, uh, we got some, I mean, we got a lot out of this segment, but yeah. I really think that gender and politics, a, a pol- gender and politics, I think men and women can make equally great leaders. I think we have different things that mm-hmm. we bring to the, yeah. you know, bring up and then we have to offer. So we're hoping that our listeners will remember to vote for a president based on who they are and what their stance is on politics and what they have to offer and not I so much it. their not, gender. Not their gender. Exactly. Love it. And, and don't run for president. And let's just be clear. And the don't score, vote for Matt. The final score was three to one. That is not uh, true. Producers, producers three, Matt one. Producers three, Matt. Thank you, Matthew. <laughs> anyway, they're the team called Tan and Thomas. Last time on the show. Good to have him with us. We'll take a break. We'll be back. Come back. Visit our good buddies down at BYU Sports Nation. Stick with us. Having fun. Till we're done. We're almost done. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Let's uh, throw it down to our good buddies down there at uh, Studio B, our friends Spencer and Jerem. Hello, John. Oh, man. <laughs> Clearing your throat. Uh, guys, are you there? Uh, yeah, we're here. We, we didn't know. We didn't know. <clears throat> yeah, right? You got that stuff in your throat still. Uh, it's a Ritz cracker today. Oh, is it? Yeah, oh, I love Ritz the Ritz. Have you ever, like, put on the Ritz? Ria. Putting on the Ritz. It's a great, great cracker. I, I even feel the Ritz cracker may very well be the perfect cracker. Re-up. <laughs> you with me? Did you guys hear about Re-up. the basketball star from uh, Windsor, Canada? Windsor, Canada. Who? No. Was killing it. He was tearing it up in Windsor. He's a 17-year-old guy uh, that had just come from Sudan. Um, and tried to, you know, run away from the warring uh, factions over in Sudan and had a great year. And then they found out he's actually not 17, he's 30. Oh, I did see this yesterday. Do you think you should be able to play high school basketball <laughs> as a 30-year-old? It's like everyone's dream. You just go back and dominate. <laughs> Would you did, want to go back? Did you see that in a movie with Drew Barrymore? Ooh. Uh, I don't know if Drew Barrymore went back in time and... <laughs> Wait, her good. brother. Her brother. I think his name in the movie was Dewey, and he was playing baseball as like a thirty-year-old on the ba- high school baseball team. <laughs> really, Dewey? Yes. Hey, Dewey. Would you uh, Would you want to go back if you could go back right now and be that incredible high school athlete and do I it all over be. again? But you, that's the thing. I wouldn't. I wouldn't be incredible. I'd get worked. Oh uh, yeah. Like mm. Rihanna said. But like Rihanna said, in the quack 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 quack. Come again? Try it again? Yeah, you heard me. <laughs> That's really good. Work, 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 work. Hey, Drew do Barrymore you guys? As Rihanna. 
Quick, 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 quick. I'm trying to. What's the name of that movie? Oh, don't. She she, she is writing an an article for her for her newspaper, and they they like they go back in time as a high school student. Twenty one Jump Street. Dang oh. it! I need to look this up right now. Okay, Jeremy, Jump Matt, Street. you continue okay. to discuss. I'm we'll on continue it. I would I would pay. I would pay money to see uh, Spencer go back to the boy band days. Go back. <laughs> oh, sorry. Is it still is it still happening? Oh, it's still alive and well, Matt. I mean, I know you guys do a little. Just open the door to our office. I mean, I know you do karaoke and lip syncing, but I, I want to see the days when you actually were in the boy band. Oh man. Those were good days, I'm sure. Never they been were, kissed. Is... Never been kissed. That is the name. Yeah, her, nice. her name is Josie Geller in that movie. Never been kissed. Also, Drew Barrymore's been in 67 movies. Wow. Yeah, I fell in love with her in E.T. I think she peaked in E.T., yeah. yeah. That was kind of She peaked the, when was she was, what, eight? She was eight years old. Yeah, those were her good days. You, didn't you like her in Fifty First Dates? I thought she was really funny in that movie. Yeah, yes, that was good. Like that was really good. I also dates. liked her in Charlie's Angels. Okay. Here's a question for you guys. What is the name of Charlie's Angels? What is Charlie's last name? Uh, Rutherford. <laughs> Charlie Rutherford. No, I have no idea. Yeah, it's Charlie Rutherford. It's yeah. Charlie Townsend. Is it really? Yes. Wait, I know someone. It is name. Charles Townsend. Happens Charles to be Townsend. Happens to be my father. Charlie Townsend. Your dad is Drew Barrymore? No, my dad so used to hire three angels to solve crimes. Is Charlie Townsend even in the movies? No, just his voice. Oh. And you want another little fact? Yes, but my, no. So Charlie Townsend, is who that was the last name of Charlie from Charlie's Angels. And my first girlfriend, Farrah Fawcett. Farrah Fawcett. Nice. The mm-hmm. Farrah hair is Classic. unbelievable. Oh, you should see it in person. <laughs> so should you. Back in the day, I meant. Do you know who played Charles Townsend or the voice of no. in the latest round of Charlie's Angels? Uh-huh. Why don't you tell us, imdb.com man? John Forsyth. Yes, I did know that. <laughs> Way to be all over IMDb. Why are we? Why are we? Why are we still talking about Drew Barrymore? Okay, we. You know I what we do know. need to talk about? We why? should talk about the Warriors losing. Oh, because Steph Curry didn't play. Yeah. yeah. And they probably still should have won. And Houston just about like gifted them that game in the end. I know they could have just handed it to him. Come on, James Harden. Yeah. Yeah, Harden. The worst t- defender in the history of the NBA. But he just had to make but, yeah. one basket at the end. Yeah, and he pushed off, and it was an offensive foul, like blatant. Yeah. Yeah, it's April 22nd. It's going to be okay. They'll be, be fine. Right. Warriors in five. It's the best of seven. The, be- the better team always wins. Yeah. Are you guys still doing your show? We are doing our show. Are you going to talk are, about the Warriors? Today's show 700. Is it really? Yeah, yeah, 700. You guys are killing it. Seriously. 700. That people can download and listen to all of them. Over again. On the POA radio app. Yeah. That is a scientific fact. <laughs> fact. So what's on the show today? Who's on the show? Which, uh, first, which non-football men's basketball team do you want to win the national championship in the next calendar year? There are some teams that are on the fringe right now, on the cusp. What team do you want to win? Plus, a line of compelling guests. Ooh, Tanner Ooh. Chauncey. We're going to go inside the mustaches. Does he still have a mustache? I don't even know. Baseball team. 
Wow. NBYU baseball, they're ranked. They have a huge RPI matchup with a good team, Creighton, tonight on BYU TV. Also, Daniel Sorensen just signed on for a third year in the NFL with the Kansas City Chiefs. Cool. And. Yeah. And, Jerem. Luke Mulkay. There you go. From South Africa. He's on the rugby team. He's a scrum half, basically the quarterback. He'll join us. They play in a semifinal of the national tournament tomorrow. Isn't Luke dating or married to a soccer player? No, that is Johnny Linehan. Okay. Who's the punter on the football team? By the way, men's volleyball, big win last night. They won in five mm. sets against UC Santa Barbara. They're playing UCLA in the MPSF Tournament Championship match. Oh, that's tomorrow, cool. 9 Eastern time. That's you can cool. Right here on BYU Radio. Watch hey, on BYU TV. Can I just ask you guys to do me a favor? Sure. Um, you have 700 shows as of today. I have 686 shows as of today. Um, could I get you guys to just take a couple weeks off? Maybe three? <laughs> Just so we could even it up a bit. Well, just, see, if there was only one of us, that yeah. would probably happen. But yeah, it's the whole team. Yeah, I get it. Unfortunately, we've been told that the show is bigger than us. Oh, is that what you? Which is yeah. good for the show. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So the train's going to keep going. Ugh. We got to just stay on board. So sorry. Ah, oh, brother. Sorry. Do you think if you like had a really bad stomach virus? Jason went... and Brian are ready to oh. take over. And the, sh- <laughs> and the show would continue. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. Sorry, Matt. Okay, well. You have to work a few Saturdays, man. No way. Are you kidding me? <laughs> no, seriously. <laughs> no, no way. It's not You're going to have to work that. all five weekdays, too. I'm sorry. Oh, brother. <laughs> okay. Well, you guys are great anyway. <laughs> Good knowing you. Have a great show today, and hey, have a wonderful weekend as well. We'll do that. Knock them dead. Hey, Merc, sh- make sure we're you go see uh, Never we're, Been Kissed, Drew Barrymore. I, no, I'll go check it out right now. In fact, I, I needed something to do the rest of the really afternoon at movie. work. Her brother Dewey playing baseball as a high school My studio. My brother Dewey. <laughs> Great vo- voice there, Jerem. Bone homie, T. Just do it. <laughs> Have fun, guys. Knock them dead. Have a great show. Have a great day. See you, Dewey. Marcel the shell. <laughs> <laughs> they, they never end. The funny thing is they still have a show to do in five minutes. See, we're done. Like right now, I could just play some music, Muzak, kick back. Mm-hmm. Should we just leave? <sighs> just take a deep breath, folks, because we're wrapping it up. We're right about to land. You can hear the landing gear coming out of the airplane right now. Mm-mm-mm-mm-mm. Did you hear this great story? Um, I'm going to, I guess, have to put this in a new category or the same old category. There's there's no easy way to do this. But a little advice uh, to all of you who go to dinner with your spouse and it gets a little loud. And, you know, if you get angry, if you get in a fight, a Florida man who apparently drove several miles with his wife on the roof of his Toyota, um, about six miles, by the way was jailed recently on reckless driving charges. Um, Police stopped Richard Addy, 69 years of age, after noticing a female riding on top of a vehicle. And uh, they pulled the vehicle over, and police helped the woman off of the top of the uh, Toyota and identified her as Addy's wife. Addy said uh, they argued after eating at a restaurant, and then there was an altercation at the resort, and then um, Addy said he just decided to leave. I'm just leaving. And he didn't realize that his wife was apparently on the roof is his story. Uh, but I'm, I'm finding that hard to believe because she was probably kicking and screaming and 
yelling, which police reported uh, it was a 2011 Toyota SUV, and they drove uh, six miles, roughly. She kept screaming, and finally the police pulled him over and uh, filed a report, and he is now going to jail. Um, he said he couldn't pull over. He, he didn't dare pull over because he didn't have a cell phone to call the police, and he was afraid about what would happen if he did pull over. So just a little rule from the Matt Townsend show. A, if you're going to fight, um, take a taxi. Take a taxi home. B, oh good, Ben's making notes. Uh, B, don't worry about a cell phone. Once the cops, you know, once you're driving around with a lady kicking and screaming on the top of your car, the cops will find you. You don't need to find the cops. But can't we just talk, friends? Can't we just talk a little advice. Okay, so what's the top speed you can go with a with woman the, on your car? Well, you, you shouldn't have a woman on your car. But if you were to have a woman on your car, well, what, you would just you wouldn't want to go any miles an hour. You just want to stay parked. But but if you had to go forward, what's the top speed you could go? Um, well, you, well, again, we wouldn't. But if you had to, you would go half a mile an hour. Really? Yeah. Just a just a little new lesson for our. For our little board up here. Hey, really quickly, we like to end with a hero story. Citizen hero on horseback, honored for thwarting a purse thief, Nestor Zepeda and his horse, Palome- his, uh, horse, I guess, is a Palomino named Palomino, were honored with certificates of appreciation Monday, April 11th by the LAPD um, after he chased down a purse-snatching suspect in March. Nestor was able to recover a victim's purse and immediately returned it to her. It was almost like a fairy tale come to life when Nestor Zapita heard a woman screaming for help. And uh, her, she was yelling, my purse was stolen. And he valiantly pursued the thief on, horse by, on horseback like a real-life knight in shining armor. He, as he galloped down the streets of Northridge on his tan thoroughbred horse named Palomino, the suspect surrendered the, the woman's purse. Nestor was able to return the purse to the woman. And uh, and she's like, my hero. And he says, it's just in a day's work, ma'am. It was beautiful. See, folks, who says you can't go back to the old days when you could just ride your horse into the sunset? That's the show, my friends. Nestor Zapata, you're the hero of the day. We'll be back again Monday, folks. Uh, remember, our goal here is to help you see the, the good in the world and to elevate your life uh, to be a better uh, human being, to have better relationships, stronger relationships, and to lead, and to lead with honor. So until Monday, go and do. Make it a great one. Take care of each other. We'll talk to you Monday. Thanks, folks. <laughs>